0: Okay, welcome back to another episode of the Enhancement Talent Podcast. My name is the man in the rafters, the man they call Tony Lopez. On the line with us, as always, one half of the fabulous Lopez cousins, we have Dr. Bob Lopez. How you doing, Bob?
1: Doing great. How about yourself?
0: Not too bad. Not too bad. Also on the line... um, we have from beautiful Island Lake, Illinois, the Warsaw Blonde himself, Adam Kulavic. How you doing, Adam?
2: doing good. Uh, I, I think I feel uh, like an upper mid Carter today. Not not a mid Carter, but an upper mid Carter.
0: Oh, like, like a gatekeeper, a guy like right on the edge, huh? Yeah, you got it. <laughs> well, we'll we'll get that. We'll get more into more in depth into that later. Um, also on the line uh guest of the show friend of the show the mouth of the southwest suburbs or the mouth of the south suburbs I'm sorry I'm sorry uh Rich Tito how you doing
3: Rich doing great guys
0: today on the enhancement talent podcast we are talking about our top 20 mid carters of all time and of course when i say mid carters i mean guys who are never consistently at the top of the card, guys who never consistently were those main event guys, guys who were not like holders of the big title belts, you know, when you guys think of mid-carders, what, what do you envision? We'll start with Bob.
1: Um, For me, a mid-carder is obviously in the name, the middle of the card. But sometimes they get a, a few feuds here with the upper big names, but they're they're never that person that wins the main heavyweight championship belt. Um I, I think we referenced this earlier, it's kinda of like a gatekeeper. Um you need to beat this person in order to get to the main championship belt. Or someone that, you know, would headline a pay-per-view here and there, but um no one that would do it multiple multiple times so to me that was where kind of like that middle of the edge almost at that
2: level but not quite there
0: okay how about you adam what's your definition of a mid carter
2: i think bob summed it up pretty good but i would just add you know um when i was composing this list uh, i thought of a couple things one of them i remember Shawn michaels cutting a promo in his cockiest of days um Right before DX formed, uh, talking about, you know, how there's the beginning of the card, the middle of the card, the upper middle of the card, and then th- the main event, and he was always in the main event. And, uh, yeah, it takes, it takes the whole roster to make a very great card. And the mid-carders are kind of, the, like Bob said, the guys weren't in the main events. But, yeah, you got to go through them to be somebody in the company that you work for. And also, they're also still an integral part of the show. They just, you know, we were talking Rob Van Dam on the ECW show. You know, he's the whole effing show that's his gimmick. That means I'm the guy who ends the show. But there's a lot of table setting that goes on before that. And that's they're very important in that sense. And then going through my list, too, I think a lot of guys we're going to name today are kind of what they call mechanics who guys who can have a good match with anybody and, and really help people out, like rising stars especially, help them get to that next level towards the main event.
0: All right. How about you, Rich? What's what's your definition of a, of a mid Carter?
3: I think I'll just add to what Bob and Adam, what you guys said, but I'll also add as well as a, a mid Carter is more of a stepping stone type person. Um, I agree with Adam in terms of the mechanics. Most of these guys are the technical wrestlers. These are the guys that could put on the the four or five star match, but may not be like, they're not the main attraction, but these these are the stepping stone guys. You beat these guys, this is what's going to catapult you to the top. So, yeah, that's what I would say what a mid-carder would be.
0: Good, good definitions all around. Yeah, basically the mid-carters are like, you know, the cogs in the wheel, you know, whereas the the main eventers are, as Reggie Jackson would put himself, the straws that stir the drink. The mid-carters are kind of like the ice cubes, I guess, you know, the things that keep the drink cold. Maybe Not that's a, a shitty... Yeah. <laughs> But anyway, yeah, so without further ado, boys, let's get into our top 20s. Um, I'll start out, uh, as we usually do, we'll do, we'll kind of blaze through our our bottom 10s, and then we'll take a little bit more time with our top 10s. Um, and I will list my 20 through 16, and they are as follows. My number 20 is Dean Malenko. My number 19 is is Steven slash William Regal. My number 18, Brian Pillman. My number 17 is Abdullah the Butcher. And my number 16 is Cesaro. So, yeah, I started off with uh, Dean Malenko, the man of a thousand holds. Um, Just as solid as a rock guy. You can put Dean Malenko anywhere on the card. He'll give you a solid match. Anywhere there, you know, I, he's what kept Dimalenko behind was two big things. His size, not a very big dude. Also not the most charismatic man in the world. Um, he probably would have been much more at home if he had been a wrestler, maybe 20 to 30 years prior to uh, when he was in, you know, in his prime. But Dimalenko, I, I, Dare anybody to say anything bad wrestling wise about Dean Malenko. He was a consummate professional, awesome technical wrestler, gives you great match after great match, one of the guys who will keep that middle of the card sizzling as you're waiting for the main event. Um next up, William Regal, or Steven Regal, as he was known in WCW. Another great technician, um, from another school of wrestling. He was uh, more of a catch wrestler in the Old English style, um, but a great he could put on a great match. I think William Regal's one of the more uh, underrated wrestlers of his period. You know, used mainly almost exclusively as a middle of the card guy. Um, was never really in any main events. Towards the end of his career, he was more of a backstage guy. He was the GM of Raw, whatever. Always, always entertaining, always worth the show. And yeah, William Regal, number 19. Number 18, Flying Brian Pillman, workhorse guy, great in the ring. And then toward, you know, when he was in WCW, um, early early to mid-career, he was, you know, when he was a baby face, he was the white meat baby face. Girls loved him when he was a heel crowd hated him, did his job to a T. And then when he got to the latter part of his career, which was unfortunately cut short by his tragic death, um, he went with the loose cannon gimmick and totally took off with that too. It, It seemed to me like anything Brian Pillman with the exception of his personal life, of course, anything he touched when it came to wrestling turned to gold. He, you, he, was just aces in that ring. And one of the most entertaining guys on the card, which unfortunately was never really at the top. Anywhere he went, he was never really that guy. He was always just a middle-of-the-card guy, but he made the most of it. Uh, 17, Abdullah the Butcher. You know, Abdullah the Butcher, uh, one of those uh, more kind of attraction guys from back in the day, uh, not in the same sense as um, like an Andre the Giant, but more in the sense of him and Bruiser Brody just doing these hellacious, bloody kind of death matches the here and there. If you wanted to see a bloody, just drag out brawl, and you saw Abdullah the Butcher on the card, you knew you weren't going to be disappointed. Abdullah knew his role. He knew what he he knew what people came to see him do, filled it. He was never a top-line guy, but he made money. He drew money. Abdul the Butcher, number 17. And number 16, I have Cesaro. Um, of, the, of the current guys who are kind of like of the uh, ilk where WWE doesn't really know what the hell to do with them at the moment, Cesaro's at the top of that list. That guy is such a physical freak. He can do anything he wants in the ring. And if given the chance, he's proved it, the crowd will get behind him. Um, They just need to let him be him. But for whatever reason, Vince McMahon just refuses to give him the ball. And he's just, you know, for whatever reason, he's just stood either in the middle of the card or into tag teams or what he's just never made it to that next level. And I think that's a shame. So that's why I put Cesaro at number 16.
1: I think that's a great way to start you, off. That, that's a great way to start it off. I really like it. Um, I like your, your bottom five. And um, my bottom five are as follows with maybe, I think actually one name that might sound familiar um but number 20 I start off with uh one of Tony's biggest uh favorite wrestlers and that's uh, Yoshihiro Tajiri. And number 20. Nice. Um 19 I go uh no gimmicks needed Chris Candido. 18 one of my favorites and I think he's one of the most underrated wrestlers of that time is uh DLO Brown. Then I go 17 Flying Brian Pillman. And number 16, I go current as well, just like you. But I go with Big E for number 16. Um, we start off with Tajiri. When, when we did the, the ECW list, we, we mentioned Tajiri. I think all three of us mentioned him. And we talked about how you could put the man in the middle of the show and he'll steal the card most of the times with the matches he would have with Super Crazy or with Little Guido. And the guy could just do it nonstop. And eventually, they, a couple times, they gave him – a uh, a heavyweight championship match against Taz or just incredible later on in the career, but um, he was always that middle of the card guy that, like you said, would warm up the the fans for the main event later on in the card. But most of the times, he was always stealing the show. That's just what Tajiri did. And um, even when he went over to uh WWE, you know, he was feuding with X Pac for a little bit, and he won the light heavyweight championship. And you know, he, he was still. Pretty big over there, so. but, again, never at that top-tier level. So I start off with Tajiri, number 20. 19, we got uh, Chris Candido. He's another perfect guy that was underrated. Uh, They brought him into the WWE from Smoky Mountain, and uh, he was a part of the Body Donnas where he was with that tag team. And then they go, hey, uh, let's have you lose the Barry Horowitz. And, you know, there's another mention of one of your favorites right there, Bonds. But um, eventually the Body Donnas, uh, eventually they beat the godwins for the tag titles and then after that they just continue to bury his character so he leaves for ECW becomes a part of the triple threat he's over there with Shane Douglas and Bam Bam Bigelow and he becomes a tag team champion with uh with Lance Storm but uh again Adam like mentioned last time when we did the ECW show no gimmicks needed the guy just let his work work uh speak for itself and uh he was always a fantastic wrestler kind of like you mentioned with D Malenko but um he never got that upper tier upper echelon type of status, how, you know, other places would should have had him, Um, and unfortunately, you know, he ended up passing away too, but I was a big fan of Chris Candido 18 for me was D'Lo Brown. I, I love D'Lo Brown. I was a big fan of him. Um, I don't know why, but it was something about him that always made, made it fun to watch for me. Um, I always loved when he would wear that chest protector and he would do the frog splash off the top rope. That was always fun. He, uh, he was, uh, european champion four times and also a member of the, the nation of domination and i think actually one of the times too he held the ic belt at the same time that he was european champion but um it was just fun to watch d brown wrestle uh i was always a fan of him and i think he was just hugely underrated so i put him number 18 like you said with flying brian pillman at 17 he was always fun to watch uh when he took over like you said the uh the loose cannon gimmick, that was fantastic. But again, they, they never really knew how to use them. Um, when Flying Brian, he was out there. He was feuding with uh, Barry Windham and Jushin Liger. And then he became the Hollywood Blondes with Stone Cold. And that was fantastic as a tag team. But then he left for ECW. And ECW didn't really know what to do with him. He you know he didn't really wrestle much when he was over there. He would just do, do promos. But then he went back to WCW. He was a member of the Horseman there. And then he left again after he did the, the Booker uh, gimmick with uh, Kevin Sullivan. He left the ECW. And then after that, he went to the WWE. He was in the the Hart Foundation for a bit, and he did that angle with Stone Cold. But after that, that was it. He would never reach that top tier. I don't think he ever won a belt at any of the places besides WCW. But um, it was just huge talent. Never got the uh, the proper status that he should have gotten. Um and then with 16, I go the current wrestler, Big E. Um, Big E, I, I watch him, and I feel like out of all the talent that they have on the roster now, he should be pushed immediately. I actually thought uh, what, after Kofi got his push that Big E should have been next, and he, they still I still feel like they continue to bury him and bury him and bury him. But the dude's got a lot of talent. Um, I, I remember when he came in as Dolph Ziggler's enforcer, and, and then they had him fighting with Curtis Axel for the IC belt. And then they threw him in the New Day, and then yeah, that took off, and they became one of the most famous tag teams that they had currently, and they broke demolition streak for the tag team title. But after that, again, I feel like he just continues to get buried in you know mid Carter status, and I feel like one day he should definitely get his push because I think he definitely deserves it. So for me, number sixteen, Biggie.
0: Nice, nice. Yeah, Biggie was one of those guys who was a really close cut for me because I love Biggie too. He's just so charismatic, super over with the fans, and a big powerhouse dude too. And he's he's very agile for his size. Yeah, I just love what Biggie can do. All right, Adam, how about your uh, twenty through sixteen?
2: All right, uh, starting off with the guy who I think uh, defines mid Carter wrestler really well, and I'll explain it uh, when I detail him more. Uh, former tag wrestler turned into a single beautiful Bobby Eaton. Number 19, a personal favorite of mine. Uh, I don't know if he'll be on anyone else's list, but I'm a huge Big Boss Man fan. He's my number 19. Uh, going back to the land of extreme, uh, super crazy checks in at number 18. Number 17, uh, just a huge attraction for ACW New Jack. And as Tony and Bob both mentioned, uh, Flying Brian Pillman is uh, number 16 for me. Uh, Starting with Beautiful Bobby, who of course, was in the Midnight Express, extremely successful tag team. And when that broke up, uh, he went on his own and he wanted, he had a TV title reign. Um, and it, he was just, you know, as a tag wrestler and as a singles wrestler, just a tremendous worker. And he had that Ric Flair quality where he could make everybody look good, pretty much, that, that he wrestled. And the. The uh, person he dropped the TV title to was a young, stunning Steve Austin. Kind of started his career going in the right direction. And he spent a lot of time in WCW uh, from the early 90s almost to the end. Uh, I know he did a lot of the WCW Saturday nights throughout the 90s, but uh, got a lot of guys over, made them look great, and and put on good matches, like we're talking about uh, with mechanics and getting people to ascend to the next level. Uh, Number 19, the big boss man Um, wrestling is full of bodyguard gimmicks and Ray trailer played it the best. In my opinion, I have, uh, you know, a very clear memory of him beating the crap out of Hulk Hogan on the brother love show and kind of being upset, but going, boy, this police officer kicks some ass. So, he was uh he was a big time heel for a while feuding with Hogan but of course never won the belt. Uh then eventually teamed up with uh with Akim and then had a face turn in the early 90s and he was tremendously popular. I would say at at some point he was probably the third most popular wrestler in the company be- behind Hogan and Warrior. So um, then he went to WCW, and unfortunately, uh, they gave him every incarnation of the name Big Boss Man. They just decided to split it up. <laughs> but uh, he had some success early on, feuding with Vader and Rick Rude, a few others. Then he went on and kind of got buried in the NWO shuffle, uh, went back to WWF, lost weight, and was Vince, probably the second most hated wrestler the Attitude Era behind Vince McMahon. Just nobody liked him except me, nobody, because he was Vince McMahon's protector. So he won a couple hard, a uh, couple, he won the tag belts once, I think, and then he was a multiple-time hardcore champion. There's the infamous uh, Big Show angle where he mocked his father's <laughs> death. So lots lots of heel heat and... uh just just do how to get the crowd in them is, is, a, is a face or a heel so uh big boss man had a nice career uh most notably at wwf uh he's my number 19 18 for me super crazy bob mentioned to jerry uh again talk about a mechanic talk about warming the crowd up i mean super crazy and jerry did more than than warm up the crowd i mean they just they just Took the show up a, a huge notch and then and, and just got everybody on the edge of their seats with the tremendous matches they had. Uh, super crazy. Had a TV title run and uh, went to the WWE after ECW folded for a time and, and uh, wrestled there for a while, too. Um, always put on great matches. Number 17, New Jack. Just, you know, we talked about him extensively on our ECW show. Just... Uh, like Bob Bob said at best, you know, when you heard that, that music hit and he came out with the, the shopping cart full of weapons and just started beating the crap out of people, got the crowd into it, and you knew you were in for something special. And, you know, just the crazy dives off the balconies and just, I mean, he got that bloodthirsty crowd, work, you know, really worked up. And uh, you almost felt gypped if New Jack wasn't at the show. I mean, you were there to see Rob Van Dam. You were there to see a lot of of their top talent and to see a lot of great matches, but you were also there to see new Jack, you'll just lay out five or six people with guitars and keyboards and cookie sheets and, and you name it. So one of ECW's greatest attractions, of course, never won any singles belts, but important part of the show. And rounding out uh, for me is Brian Pillman. Both you guys talked about him. Uh, Tremendous light heavyweight wrestler in WCW. Had some great matches with Jushin Liger in the early nineties and, several others wcw always handed over the wwf with the cruiserweights and the light heavyweight matches um they had a lot of great talent who put on a lot of great matches and as both you mentioned as uh, pillman's career wore on he kind of he had some injuries but you know very high profile tag team with steve austin then he joined the horseman so he was beginning to work himself up the card then i think injuries started to catch up to him and Uh, but he was very revolutionary for his time, you know, a mid-carter, but a very cutting-edge one. He just stood out with the loose cannon stuff he was doing and just, you know, the pseudo-crazy guy, just tremendous stuff, especially at the time it was happening. Um, So Brian Pillman was always a show-stealer, whether it be in the ring or on the mic. It's a shame that he didn't get a run with a major title belt, but uh, people obviously still remember him talk about him fondly today, so he lasted, he left a lasting impression. So Pillman is sixteen. Awesome.
0: Awesome. All right, Rich. How about your twenty three? Start number
3: twenty with the self proclaimed greatest intercontinental champion of all time, the honky tonk man. Nice. Um he, the, the definition of a late eighties mid-carter in WWF, you know, longest reigning intercontinental champion at that time. Um, you know, he was never going to carry the card, but you know his gimmick attracted a lot of heat. You know people couldn't stand him and Jimmy Hart together, and who can forget him and the Hart Foundation turning Savage good on Saturday Night's Main Event back in '87? That was um, one of the all-time great moments in wrestling, and one of the which led to one of the all-time great cocaine-filled interviews with Hogan and Savage afterwards. <laughs> if you remember that interview, the Mega power. Yeah. Oh, I remember it. <laughs> and um,
0: <laughs> where they're trying, where they're trying to shake each other's hand, but there is some invisible force keeping it back, and then they finally shake each other's hand, and it's ooh, yeah, that's right. That's you can take right.
3: yeah. the monkey man. For I know all that, that. I know that. Um, <laughs> I mean, he the, the, to me is the ultimate mid Carter in that sense. You know, you know, he was never going to win the world title with his work rate, but he could entertain the crowd, and he could. He could turn up the heat. Uh, Number 19, Lance Storm. Pure definition of a good technical wrestler. Um, You know, it's a shame when he got the WWE after his ECW career and that little WCW career of his that WWE didn't do much with him because the guy had a lot of talent, but it just seemed like something was missing, like in terms of the gimmick, just... You know, he had the talent. This, I don't know. It kind it kind of leads in my number 18, just didn't have the charisma. Former Four Horsemen, Mr. Dean Malenko himself. Um, I know you guys have touched up on uh, uh, Dean Malenko and how he was. The guy never put on a bad match. Um, you know, he was kind of stuck in mid-card hell in WCW. Even when they made him a horseman, he had his early feuds with Chris Jericho in the late 90s. Um, you know obviously his his wCW work speaks speaks for itself. you know, never had worse than a three star match, but just wasn't a great talker so and I know Tony had brought it up earlier. if the guy would have been wrestling about 20 years ago and had a a manager mouthpiece, he probably would have gone a lot farther than he did. Number 17, Tony's boy, Tajiri. Um, goes back to what you guys were saying about Tajiri. You knew when he was wrestling, and you knew that guy would be a high flyer, a show stealer. Just a, and when he went to WWE, it just seemed like it was kind of the same thing, but the WWE didn't know what to do with him. Instead, they're pushing oafs like JBL. But a guy like Tajiri, I, I, could, I would love to have seen him more with a better run with even a higher title, but it was never to happen. 16 might cause some controversy. I'm putting x Pack slash 123Kid. Once again, it, it's, yeah, it's kind of a that. tough one. Yeah, You know, he was with DX, with the NWO and WCW. Obviously, he was a light heavyweight. He was never going to go all the way up there. Um, he did have, he obviously had the entertaining tag team with Kane back in the day in the Attitude era. But it that's that's another definition of a pure mid carder. You just you knew he was never going to go beyond the mid card due to his size, although he had the great athleticism and he put on some great matches. You know, he had some good ones with Hakushi in the mid nineties when WWF was terrible, but Hakushi versus one, two, three kid, you know, those opening matches on like WWF mania or some of those pay-per-views. Those were some good three, four star matches they were doing the high flying stuff before it became real popular again. So that'll round out my top five or my bottom five, I should say.
0: Nice. Well, good picks all around. Can't argue with any of those. All right, we will now move on to our 15 through 11. Um, we'll, we'll start off with me. Um, my number 15, I have Shelton Benjamin. At number 14, I have Superfly, Jimmy Snuka. At number 13, I have Bam Bam Bigelow. At number 12, I have Dust. And at number 11, I too have Lance Storm. So yeah, we'll start off with Shelton Benjamin. Um just athletic freak. That's I mean anything you want anybody to do in the ring, Shelton Benjamin can do it. Um he's currently in the WWE. He's part of that um hurt business gimmick with uh MVP and Bobby Lashley and uh they got oh that Cedric Alexander is in there as well. Um but Shelton Benjamin has always been a standout in my mind. Um, came in as part of that world's greatest tag team with him and uh, Charlie Haas, um, and eventually his talents kind of shown that he was ready for solo stardom. And he he went on his own. He had some great matches. He was he had that great match on Raw against uh, Shawn Michaels. That's kind of a classic where he, you know, at the end he does that springboard off the rope and Michaels catches him with the, with the sweet chin music, one of the best spots in modern or in, um, recent memory. Uh, but he's also, you know, whenever he's in like a TLC match or a money in the bank match or whatever, Shelton Benjamin steals the show. Um, why he never really got above mid card. I don't really know. Um, he, he doesn't really talk. I guess he's not that good on the mic, uh, but he has, I mean, he shows swagger in the ring. I guess it just maybe doesn't translate to, to you know, promo delivery or whatever. But, yeah, Shum Benjamin uh, is my number 15. Number 14, Jimmy Superfly Snuka, um, wildly popular in the 80s. Um, there was a point there where he was probably the second most over babyface in the company outside of Hulk Hogan, but he never challenged for that belt. He was um, always in the, he was always in the, the mid card. He had that famous feud over the IC belt with Don Morocco. Um, Yeah. For, for a guy being as over as he was for him, never to really get to that main spot on the roster or even, you know, even in, in the upper echelons of the card, really, say for you know WrestleMania 1 where he was in the main event and a tag you know he he featured in the main event he wasn't actually part of the match but he was in the corner of uh Hogan and Mr. T but you know he was just never that main event guy and you know say what you will about his personal life everything that's been uncovered you know in in you know in recent history but when he was wrestling he was over as hell, and he he was one of my favorite wrestlers as a kid. I just never really knew why he didn't crack that ceiling and um, got into the main event picture like others did. But hey, what are you gonna do? Number thirteen, Bam Bam Bigelow. Um, Bigelow, as we know, he headlined one WrestleMania uh, with, <laughs> with Lawrence Taylor. Um, was not a was not a uh, title match, of course. But for whatever reason, he was the guy to, to that was chosen the headline that WrestleMania with Lawrence Taylor, and I think it was because Vince knew how good of a worker Bam Bam was, and they knew that Lawrence Taylor, he's not a wrestler, so you're going to need a guy in there who can work, who can do a good match, who can carry a guy like Lawrence Taylor into having a decent match, and that's exactly what Bam Bam did, and that's what he did throughout his entire career for a big guy his size. To um, you know be doing cartwheels in the ring and moon salts and all this other kind of shit, he was definitely a guy who caught your attention as he was wrestling, and while he was never a main event guy because of how colorful he was, you know when he got the skull tattoos and the flame the flame outfit and everything and just his ability abilities in the ring you know Bam Bam Bigelow was great. Uh number 12 Gold Dust. You know, when I think of Gold Dust outside of the Undertaker, the only guy who could take a gimmick that just looking at it from from a face value, you look at that gimmick and it's like this is never going to get over at all. This is a stupid gimmick. There's no way this is ever going to get over. And Dustin Runnels took that gimmick and made it work for over 20 years until he finally left. He's still kind of doing it, to be honest with you, just in a different kind of form in AEW. He's not Goldust anymore, but he still has the painted face and whatnot. Um, but the Goldust character in WWE, when it first debuted, I, I like I, like everybody, really thought it was destined to fail. And it the fact that it went on for so long is a— just goes to show you how great of a performer Dustin Dustin Rhodes is. It, it takes a special performer to get a gimmick like that over and keep it over for as long as he did. So, yeah, Goldust is number 12. And number 11, like Rich said, Lance Storm, one of the best technical wrestlers of all time. Uh, when he went to WCW after ECW, they basically put every mid-card title on him. Um, but he, he never cracked that main event. He never did. Uh, and it got worse when he went to the WWE because all Vince saw in him was, a, uh, yeah, he could work. He's a great, he's a great hand I can depend on him for a match, but he's boring. So I'm going to make that his gimmick. He's the boring guy. And yeah, that, that didn't really go over too well at all. Him and Steve Blackman were one in the same, only that. Lance no, they Storm. Weren't. Huh? <laughs>
2: no, they weren't.
0: Well, not in abilities, but like you. Gotcha. Ki- kind of what Vince did to them,
2: you know? Yeah, okay. That's what I'm talking that's their, what I'm talking their hair about. Their haircuts were about the same. That's about we're the about the guy.
0: same too, yes.
2: Yeah, that's yeah.
0: about it. Lance Storm was a much better worker than Steve Blackman. Uh, yeah. But but Vince kind of saw them as one and the same. He couldn't market them because he thought they were boring and he and he he kind of made that their gimmicks you know because you look at steve blackman he did the same exact thing to Steve blackman so and it's a, it's a damn shame because Lance lance storm deserved a lot more than that he's a great wrestler and yeah he's my number 11 best mid-carder of all time lance storm
1: how dare you disrespect the lethal weapon steve blackman like that
2: <laughs> I, I i guess the cat's out of the bag he's not on my list
1: Sadly, he's not on my man. My brother would be sad because my brother marked for him all the time.
0: Yeah, your brother was a big Steve Blackman marker. Remember, he had
1: had catchy theme music. I'll give him
0: that
2: too. Yeah, he he might.
1: Since we're gonna be, since we're gonna redo our theme music show, he might be on that. Um. So two two things off the bat before people jump on me later on is um. Two of the people you just mentioned were Bam Bam Bigelow and Lance Storm. And like I said to me, a mid-carder is someone that never won the big belt. So uh, Bam Bam won the ECW heavyweight belt. So I didn't put him on my list in case someone jumps on my ass later and say, why didn't you put Bigelow on there? And uh, Lance Storm, even though he never won the big belt, like you said, in WCW, he won like three or four titles at the same time. So I was like, "Ah, I kind of disqualify him for that one, (laughs) even though it wasn't his fault. Yeah. It was tough. It was tough. But those are the reasons why they're not on mine. Um See, I, I, to answer you, I totally forgot that Bam Bam won the, the ECW belt. But
0: it still doesn't really change my pick about him. And Lance Storm, he, yeah, he won those belts, but they were never like the big-time belts. So Yeah, no, I,
1: I agree. But to me, it was just like, ah, he won them all at the same time, so I'm just going to disqualify him. Um Fifteen, I go controversial with Richie, and, and I put his boy X-Pac on there. Um, for number fourteen, uh, Adam's boy, the big boss man, makes an appearance. For number thirteen, I go with Cesaro, just like you. Um, number twelve, as we continue on a weekly basis, Tony, I put in the man known as Gold Goldust. Nice. No, number eleven makes the debut of The Godfather for me. So here as we talked about Pac, richie mentioned about him earlier um he started off as the the one two three kid and he i think he had a variety of names for a while like the cannonball kid and the lightning kid and all these other things but he came in and all of a sudden out of nowhere he beats razor moan and everyone's like whoa who the hell is this underdog kid and then actually after that if you remember he beat ted dibiase like the following week um and you're like whoa this guy's got victories over these two dudes but uh like Richie mentioned, he had great matches with Hakushi, but he also had a fantastic match with Brett the Hitman Hart at that time. And before he even came over, um, he had a classic indie match with Sabu. If you ever get a chance to check that out, that was a fantastic match. Um, but then he was uh, in the Million Dollar Corporation for a little bit of time, and then he, he just disappeared, and then you find him in the crowd in the NWO as he joined over there in WCW. And uh, he had great feuds with... Eddie Guerrero and Dean Malenko and Chris Jericho and then after that again he left and here he comes out as uh X-Pac and the DX formation that came out and you know he was doing that for a bit and then he teams up with Kane and then he started feuding with Kane and then uh Adam's favorite uh stable X-Factor came about um so (laughs) and uh, Tony's favorite musician Uncle Cracker Oh yeah, wow. I, forgot, I forgot the uncle, uncle cracker reference. But X Pac was my 15 again. 14, like Adam mentioned, the man from Cobb County, Georgia, um, the big boss man, um, came out, attacked Hogan when he first came out. I used to love when he would handcuff the people to the to the ropes and just beat the crap out of them for a while. Um, oh, that yeah. was always fun. He uh, he had that memorable uh, steel cage match with Hulk Hogan and Hogan uh superplexed him off the top remember a uh, saturday night main event if you guys remember that match um yeah mm-hmm. yeah and then from there he gets the he gets the pleasure of feuding with nails which we all know how fun that was um then he leaves and he goes to WCW and he becomes the boss and then they're like the is like no you can't be the boss so then he becomes the guardian angel and uh and then from there, he goes to Big Bubba Rogers, and we start feuding with Sting, and then they get bored of that, so they throw him in the Dungeon of Doom. And then from there, he's like, ah, oh, screw it, I'm just going to become Ray Trailer." And WCW, like usual, does nothing with him. So then he comes back to WWE, and like you said, he becomes uh, Vince McMahon's bodyguard and teams up with uh, Ken Shamrock and the corporation and their tag champs for a little bit of time. But before you 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 talked about the big show and and the famous quote that Tony loves to say about the, the big show's dad. But uh, before that, remember he feuded with Al snow and he fed Al snow, his dog. You remember that one? Of course pepper. (laughs) So that was a, that was a good one. Um, number 13, I go with with Cesaro. I love Cesaro as a current, as like, again, he's someone that I just feel like they could do so much with. And they're just, shit in the bed with cesaro cesaro is so much fun to watch he was the first uh, inaugural uh, andre the giant memorial battle royal winner um i feel like he's one of the most underrated wrestlers there is right now um he he had that best of seven feud with uh seamus going on for a while and then they became the bar and he was tag champs for a long time with Sheamus. and um you know he um now i think he's tag champs with nakamura i think they're still champs i'm not sure if they are or not yeah, but, they uh, are. They are. You you see all these Hall of Famers like Mick Foley and Rick Flair say, Hey, if I've I've read interviews with them where they say if someone should be getting pushed right now, it should be Cesaro. And and then you read an interview with Vince McMahon, he's like, ah, he doesn't have the it factor, he doesn't have the, the charisma. And it's just like, dude, the guy's got all the talent in the world, but you're just shitting on him, and it's just sad to watch. But uh Cesaro for me is 13 like you said tony 12 gold dust uh when he first came out i was like what the hell is this the guy looked like a an oscar trophy um i was just like wow what is this guy but again to take that gimmick and make it work is is perfect how you said it. it's just like the undertaker no one else can make it work but then he's also done so many variations of it throughout the time like he became the artist formerly known as gold dust remember and then uh he kind of went into like that Marilyn Manson type style with stuff, and then from there, all of a sudden, he becomes dyslexic, or was it? Uh, no, what was it that he had? Um, Tourette's, Tourette's, right? Tourette's. 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 Tourette's yeah. Yep. When, when he was with a Booker T, uh, that was classic to watch. Um, yes. You know, he did that. Then he leaves to go to WCW, and he they give him seven, uh, which was one of Tony's favorite gimmicks. Um, so oh, seven number is-
0: one, number one. <laughs>
1: I remember when he broke character during it And he was just like, yeah, screw this, this is horrible Blah, blah, blah um, But I mean, that was just bad And then he could go back to the natural Dustin Rhodes Whenever the hell he wants and, and just do that And come back as Gold Dust And now, like you said, he's an AEW But again, I think he was only IC champ um, You know, he's multiple tag champs I know that But I, I know he won it with his brother Cody I know he won it with Booker T But just the uh, Just the Always a mid carter for life for me for for Dustin Runnels Goldust seven whatever the hell he wants to be called. Uh-oh. I remember the backlot brawl with uh, the Hollywood backlot brawl with uh, Piper where Piper stripped him yes. down to a thong underwear that was classic. <laughs> and then uh, what was the other one? The uh, the Blacktop Bully. Remember Black they fought in the 95. back of a like a semi truck. You guys remember you know that? That was horrible. Oh. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah, that was bad. But uh, Goldust was my twelve. And then uh, number 11, I go with The the Godfather. Um, Papa Shango, when he first came out as in 92, 93, I remember, uh, what the hell was that? You know, like, that was just a crazy, crazy, like, character. I had never seen anything like that. But then all of a sudden, uh, I remember he had that botched fail running attempt that Adam talked about last time where he was supposed to come, say, uh, mess with uh, Attack Hulk Hogan, and he missed it. So Sid had the kick out of the, the finisher. Um, during Wrestlemania so that was fun and then he leaves he becomes uh, Kama Mustafa the the supreme fighting machine which where he was horrible I think he was in Ted DiBiase's corporation for a little bit of time there um, he, a killer box cut. he did he did that was sexy and then I when I was doing the research on it he, he got tired of it so he he left and then he left and he had actually signed a contract to become the the NWO's enforcer so he's just waiting for WCW to give him a call and say, hey, show up this day. And he never got the call. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, they decided to go with Virgil instead of him. And, uh, and he found out about that over like watching TV live that day. And he got pissed. So that's how he created the Godfather character. So when they asked him back to come back, Vince did. He came back as the Godfather with the Nation of Domination. And then he turned it into the pimp character, which... To me, it was a lot of fun. I always loved watching his character. It was just fun to watch. It was one of those things where his music played and that pop was instant, you know. So it was fun to watch him as a character and just his uh, his promos that he would cut. Those were fun. But uh, for me, my number eleven was the uh, the Godfather. He he was a lot of fun to watch. So I, I put him at number eleven.
0: All right. Okay, Adam. How about your uh, fifteen through eleven?
2: Great picks all around, everybody. Um, so uh, the next five, a uh, uh, couple uh, couple that you guys have mentioned, but uh, for me, number 15, making uh, the first appearance on this list, is Tito Santana, a.k.a. El Matador. Uh, number 14, I've got Steven Regal. Number 13, I've got Tajiri. Uh, here's my controversial pick, but I think this is within the rules we set Only counting his WCW career. I would put Chris Jericho and number 11. I would, I have gold dust as well. Uh, starting with Tito Santana. Uh, he worked the first opening match on the first WrestleMania. He was a reliable worker for a long time for Vince McMahon. He won the IC belt twice. He won the tag team belts a couple times. He's another one, kind of like I mentioned earlier with Bobby Eaton, where he got a lot of guys over and, uh, Vince would put him up against emerging talent because he knew that he could give him a good match, make him look like a million bucks again. I kind of call that the Ric Flair factor. Uh, when I was a kid, I used to get so irritated at how Tito would always kick somebody's ass and the referee would take a nap during the match and he would get screwed in some way, shape or form. And uh, I thought there's some conspiracy against them. I'm like, come on. It's because like, he's
0: Mexican, man.
2: It's <laughs> it, That's just what it is. It just may be. Yeah. I just, I, I'm like, what the you hell? We always know. get
0: the short end of the stick. Always.
2: Well, Tito certainly did. Um, <laughs> and, and uh, whatchamacallit, the, you know, everyone remembers the 1990 Survivor Series being shocking because The Undertaker made his debut. But to me, it was the fact that that was the one year they did the Survivors of the tag matches, the heels fought the bad guys in one final match, and the fact that Tito made it to that That's final right. match, I was like, "You the warrior!" So just a very <laughs> reliable guy, like, yeah. Him, Warrior, and Hogan, um, and you know, like I said, towards the end of his run, I know he put Shawn Michaels over at WrestleMania Eight when he was first a the single. They kind of tried to redo him a little bit with the El Matador gimmick, but he was he was, was just so uh, he was a guy who got a lot of people over and and always was, could be counted on for a great match. Uh, Steven Regal uh, was mentioned earlier. Uh, I'd have to think this is close to a record four-time TV champion, WCW, four-time European champion. You know, we were talking about Lance Storm earlier, just had, like, every, like, underneath belt except for the world title. Um, was, was he ever a face, guys? I don't remember him ever being a face. It might have been after I stopped watching. Uh, I think when he was with you I don't remember him ever being a face. Maybe Hmm. Okay. Yeah. The and the commissioner stuff.
1: Yeah. <laughs> okay, so, when he,
2: yeah. He only but when he was a full time wrestler, he usually worked heel, and and uh, he, you know, and I remember he would he would uh, oftentimes uh, lose, not lose the belt, but keep belts like with time It draws at WCW, which I think irritated the fans further. So he was just a, a great stiff worker and and uh underrated as Tony mentioned uh Tajiri we touched on a couple times so uh again just part of some of ECW's greatest matches uh it was super crazy and and uh, little Guido and, and others um he did have a good run at the WWE as well um Kind of lost a little bit, but he did win a couple titles, and and you know he was real over with the fans too. Just uh, very underrated talent, and he just celebrated his 50th birthday, so happy belated to Jerry. Uh, number twelve, I put I put the WCW version of Chris Jericho. I think if uh, if people were sane and 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 uh, people could spot talent better in WCW. Uh, He could have been one of the guys they built the company around. You know, you read books or you hear people's accounts of how WCW went to shit, basically, because no one would step aside and they needed an influx of new talent. And Chris Jericho is a prime example of that. He worked so many great matches with, with, you know, guys like Benoit and Malenko. I had forgotten, doing research, that he came out and built himself as the man of 1,004 holds. Mm -hmm. And yep. <laughs> he read the holds in the ring. I mean, come tremendous. I mean, how you let that guy go? Just, bar Yeah, <laughs> it's it's just baffling. And and the program he did with Goldberg, you know, just what, what you know, great in the ring, of course. But I mean, just as great a talker. And and the WWE took him and 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 just made him into a hall of famer. So uh, shame on WCW for how they handled Chris Jericho. And uh, rounding out at number 11 is Goldust. You guys summed them up really good. Um, Just took a character that, uh, you know, again, I'm like, what is Dusty's kid doing here? And obviously at the time he wanted to create something different, uh, kind of remove himself from the road's name, and he made it work. Uh, You guys ran down some of the great matches at feuds he had. Uh, One thing that just really uh, just stands out to me about him he's had five runs with the wwe i'm like how many wrestlers can say they've had that many runs it's it's unprecedented and and the fact you know he's probably i'm going to guess about 50 and i know he's in aew now and he's still towards probably upper mid card i would guess and i mean the guy could still could still bring it uh so uh you know again obviously uh, a little lighter and Different style than Dusty had, but I mean, the, the guy's a star in his own right, and he put on a lot of great matches and set the table for the main events very well for many promotions for for going on thirty years now. So, Goldust uh, rounds out the uh, bottom ten for me. All right,
1: number five. Right. how about you, Rich? What was your favorite Chris Jericho move? Wait, what? What, what was it? What was your favorite Chris Jericho
2: move?
3: When he went to WWF.
2: My, yeah. yeah, that's a good. Thing. <laughs>
1: uh, didn't he? Didn't he have the the, the moss covered three handled credenza? Wasn't that wasn't that one of his moves, puns? What was that?
0: Didn't he the have arm bar.
1: Moss-covered, The moss covered three handled credenza was one of his moves. Yeah, it was. That was one of his moves. Yeah, that was one of my favorites right there.
0: Yeah, he he was like arm bar. Arm drag, <laughs> and then he cut away to come. He comes back. as like the three, <laughs> was it the oh, he was the moss covered family cred. Yeah, it's that that whole thing was was just a touch of genius. And of course, like Adam said, WCW didn't know what the fuck to do with it, as always. So yeah, I could totally see WCW's iteration of Chris Jericho being on this list, totally. All right, All
3: right, Rich, number 15, how about your, uh, got, uh, your 15 to 11? I'm not going to repeat what you said, but one example of him being popular was the infamous match with the Mountie with SummerSlam 91 where they sent him to jail. I don't know if you remember that match. Also, also classic guy on WrestleFest, the arcade. Yeah, Used him frequently. So I will give him a shout-out. <laughs> um. There's not much more I can add about the big boss man. You guys have brought up most of it anyways. Um, Pretty much, you know, when he went to WCW, they did everything but give him the big boss man name. And he did have some nice matches with Vader in the uh, early 94 part before his career just went down, 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 down in WCW. And, yeah, he had a nice revitalization in WWF uh, being McMahon's enforcer, but. Yeah, he never was able to win the world title. And for a big man, he was awfully mobile. And going back to what what you guys said about Bam Bam Bigelow off the record, he's not on my list either for the same reason. He technically won the ECW title and had a main event run there. So, number 14, Flying Brian Pillman. You know, same thing. You know, great opening match guy, you know. Up to the mid-card, he had that great match with Thunder Jushin Thunder Liger. That was uh, the first Super Brawl back in '92 up in Milwaukee. Uh, you know, he had a lot of underrated bouts as well. And you know, as a member of the Four Horsemen, you talk about the, the matches with Kevin Sullivan and the "I Respect You" Booker man. But you know, unfortunately, due to his you know personal life choices. <laughs> It was just more and more difficult for him to extend beyond that mid-card. I think had you know, he survived WWF and he would have lived longer, I think at the very least they would have had him have an intercontinental run and he was on the verge of a super feud with Steve Austin. And I'm always curious to see where that would have led to, but unfortunately we'll never know. Number 13, the ult- one of the ultimate mid-carders, and that's Dustin Rhodes, a.k.a. Goldust. You guys talked about gold dust mostly, so I'll talk about the Dustin Rhodes part. You know, in the early to mid nineties, he was part of the crappy ass dudes with attitudes. If you remember that wonderful stable, um, he was also a tag champion in WCW. He won it with uh, Barry Windham, um, and and at one of the Clash of Champions, he brought out his mystery partner, yeah, which right. happened to be Ricky Steamboat, and. You know, he was a U.S. champion. He never won a TV title, but he was a U.S. champion for a while. He had some good matches with Rick Rude. Um, You know, he had a couple of good matches with Vader on Clash of Champions uh, around 93, 94, because I used to love Clash of Champions. Then his career started nosediving, you know, and he had that infamous uncensored match with Black Top Bully, and they both got canned for blading. Uh, even though it was an uncensored match, somewhere in the back road to Tupelo. I think they filmed Deliverance there. And, um, you know, obviously you guys talked about Goldust and how he was in WWF and able to maintain that character and currently in AEW, so I won't elaborate on it. Um, Number 12, Lord Steven Regal. Once again, hard hitter. You know, he had some great matches with Finley in WWF. Those were some hard-hitting, real-life English, Irish-style matches. Um,
0: yeah, Finley, nose in, WCW, in the match. He had some great that. matches
3: with Ricky Steamboat over the TV title. Uh, it was about late 93, I want to say, around Starcade 93, they had a time limit draw. And, you know, he had the Blue Bloods with Bobby Eaton. You know, something you thought you would have never seen uh, with Bobby Eaton's character as a redneck in the Midnight Express. But, you know, Steven Regal, you know, prime example of a great mid Carter. And I honestly think if Hogan doesn't come to WCW in 94, I wonder what they could have done with Steven Regal at that time because he was building momentum. I could have seen him as at least a U.S. champ, if not... You know why not give him a shot at Flair's title, but once again, it's a big what if we'll never know. And number eleven is my last name, Tito Santana. You know, unfortunately, later on in his career, he became uh, the jobber to the stars like WrestleMania eight with Shawn Michaels, but they were and guys like him and the Repo Man were always going to be turning these. That would be like the main event you'd see of early Monday Night Raws or WWF superstars like Tito Santana versus Razor Ramon. But before that, let's not forget, yes, he was a two-time intercontinental champion. He had a nice long reign. Uh, he had some great matches with Randy Savage before Savage won the belt. Savage took the belt from him in Boston Garden back in early 86. Um, he had the tag titles with, you know, rick martell with strike force uh, and he never had a bad match let's honestly e- e- even for the opening card of any type of house show you could guarantee a three-star match at least with santana odd thing about him was that he never played a heel did, did he ever play a bad guy in his career do any of yous know i don't think he ever did Yeah, one of the few guys that was a face his whole an life. No, I
0: don't think he ever did.
3: Just didn't have that something extra that McMahon needed, I guess. So, number 11, I'm going with my namesake, El Manador Tito Santana. Promotional consideration paid for by the following.
0: All right, boys. Well, we are in our top 10 now, officially. Um, I'll start it off with my number 10, and that is... Well, here comes the money. It's Shane McMahon. He is my number ten mid Carter of all time. Now I don't know if, if this is controversial and all. You know, Shane McMahon. A lot of people still won't consider him really a wrestler. He's the boss's son. He was, you know, a, more of a an oddity. Well, not part of the oddities, but it, an oddity in and of itself, where. You know he'll—he's a guy who you know is not a wrestler, yet he can give you a hell of a match, man. I I just saw um the uh the the Broken Skull Session interview that Stone Cold did with uh, Kurt Angle, That's and good. they went really into depth with um with Kurt Angle with the the match he had with Shane at uh, King of the Ring, and. <clears throat> The way that they broke that match down, it just shows you that Shane, even though yeah he's not a wrestler per se, but he knew how to bump, he knew how to work, and he he made you believe that he can hang in there with a guy like Kurt Angle for crying out loud. Kurt Angle, gold 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 medal Olympian, all around one of the best wrestlers in the history of the business, and he's out there giving like a four- or five-star match with Kurt Angle. That's incredible, and that's what Shane McMahon can give you. Nowadays, he's, of course, a part-time guy. He's in his 50s. He'll come out every WrestleMania and, like, fall off a 40-foot whatever. But, you know, to kind of, you know, give him short shrift and just saying, well, he was just Vince's son. That's why he got where he was. Shane McMahon was damn entertaining and I, you know, he was never going to be the main guy, but to give you a hell of a match in the middle of the card, Shane almost delivered every single time. So yeah. Number 10, Shane McMahon.
1: That's a, that's a good pick. I love that. Uh, that stone cold broken skull session. If you got a chance to watch it, Adam, I'm not sure if you did or or you, you did either rich, but uh, the Kurt Angle one was very, very entertaining. And like you said, when they broke it down with Shane McMahon, like when he was like, oh, yeah, that's where I broke my tailbone or this is where I, I did this to my neck. It's just like, holy crap, you know, yeah. uh, it's, it's a lot of fun to watch.
0: And of course, but, the, uh, the two big spots, the two big spots with the uh, crashing through the glass. They went into that a lot, too. That that's that was really cool. Yeah,
1: and how, how Vince was coming back like, no, you got to stop it. You got to stop. It. He's like, uh, don't don't listen to him. <laughs> just do it. <laughs> um for me, for my number 10, I do pick a, a wrestler, uh unlike shane McMahon. And I go with uh the widowmaker, Barry Windham. He's nice. uh he's my ten. Um to me, Barry Windham could have been easily maybe in those late mid mid eighties, early nineties, he could have been the man, but there was a man ahead of him named Rick Flair that you know, you can't be that man that Rick Flair is. So Barry Windham was like an upper mid-carter to me. He he never got the championship belt. He did win the NWA version of the belt against the Great Muda, but at that time NWA and WCW had already kind of broken apart from each other. So I didn't really count it as a as the major championship belt, because technically it wasn't WCW's major championship belt, but my number 10 is, is Barry Windham. I mean, he came into the WWE with the U.S. Express with uh, Mike Rotunda, and they were tag champs for a bit. And then he leaves to go to WCW in 88, 89, where he joins the Four Horsemen. He became the the U.S. heavyweight champ for about nine months over there, and then all of a sudden he leaves and he goes to WWE and becomes the Widowmaker. And um about early 90s, maybe late 89, he goes over there and, he, he does a few matches here and there and realizes the gimmick sucks, just like everything WWE was doing at that time. So then he comes back to WCW and joins the Four Horsemen again with Arn Anderson, and they have the classic feud with Doom. Um, he fights Luger at the Great American Bash, and that was a great match. And he, he beats Stone Cold for the WCW TV belt at that time. Um and then around '96 he comes back to the WWE as a stalker. I, do, I yes. don't know if you guys remember that lovely gimmick that he had. Unfortunately, he kinda... <laughs> so that was fun. And then from the stalker, they decide, hey, let's let's put you with uh, JBL and you guys can become the new Black Jacks tag team. Um, so then he left for greener pastures from there, and he went back to WCW where he became a member of the West Texas Rednecks. Um, and they had wonderful feuds with the No Limit soldiers, so that was a, definitely a good time. But <laughs> to me, like shit like that, makes Barry Windham a mid Carter upper card for a little bit of time in the early or in the early '90s, late '80s. But for the rest of his career after that, mid Carter for life for me for Barry Windham. So he's my number ten.
0: And how can you rap forget the West Texas Red number one hit single? I hate rap. <laughs> I have that CD. You you have the single, right?
1: I own the CD, actually. Oh, do you? They're, for real? W, WCW had a uh, uh, a CD where they it was WCW the music, and yes. they had all all the, their versions of their theme songs on there, and the West that that song is on there. I, I know hate that at least. So. <laughs> I don't have I don't have a computer awesome. anymore where I can bring you a copy, but I'm sure I could find a way. Oh,
0: there's always a way.
1: Yes,
2: yes indeed.
0: All right, Adam, how about your number ten?
2: I'm gonna say, uh yeah, Barry Wyndham was a great choice there and uh I I kinda ping ponged putting him on this list, but because he did win uh as Tony uh refers to with the big gold belt, I consider that a, a heavyweight title, so he wasn't on my the, list, but it's that's a great name.
1: The only reason I didn't add, include the, the big gold belt is because, I mean, it, it lasted less than a year, I believe. You know, it wasn't around for such a long time. So it's like if
2: the belt didn't last that long to me, it really didn't count. So that's why I got rid of it. Gotcha. Yeah. So that's the only reason. It kind of like the same thing. Um, yeah, I, I agree with everyone with Bam Bam Bigelow. That's why he's not on my list either because uh, he won the ECW title. Uh, my number ten is somebody. Speaking of uh, upper mid card, he was his upper mid card. The WWF as you could get in the in the uh, mid nineties, and that would be Razor Ramon. Uh, he won the IC title four different times, and uh, you know probably he's most known for his matches, ladder matches with Shawn Michaels. I think they were both for the Intercontinental Title, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so. He was he was always towards the you know that upper almost to that main event. He's like as close as a main eventer as you could get, but they never for some reason. Um, you know, as I move up my list again, I when we make these lists, I come to the realization that Vince McMahon just didn't like guys who weren't humongous. That's that's just basically what it is. I mean, uh, of course, Scott Hall became a huge main eventer with the NWO and WCW after his run as Razor Ramon, and uh, but you know. Kevin Nash got to wear the belt in WWF because he had the look that Vince was going for. But I mean, Scott Hall could wrestle circles around Kevin Nash. And, you know, I, to this day, I don't think anyone could take the stunner better than Scott Hall. I, uh, he was just, he just saw that the, my, uh, my favorite, but yeah, uh, as Razor razor uh just a lot of great runs, a lot of great matches with, with different opponents. And, uh, he was right up there in popularity at that time, too. Was, uh, up there with Bret Hart and when Michaels was a face and Diesel. Uh, so uh, I would have loved to have seen him get a title run in WWF, but wasn't meant to be. So uh, Razor Ramon starts out my top 10. Right. Um Nice.
3: My number All right, 10 Rich, is number also 10. a upper mid Carter WWF guy known as the British Bulldog Davey Boy Smith. I mean... We'll start with his classic summer now he did main event SummerSlam 9'2, but you know unfortunately, you know, due to whatever, he was really never to get beyond the upper mid card. Yes, he was an intercontinental champion, he was a European champion, and he was also the tag champion. Now he went to WCW for you know a song and a dance, and he uh, made, and he teamed up with Sting against the Masters of the Power Bomb. And he was part of the infamous Equalizer Shockmaster moment on Flair for the Gold, but but I don't know when it came to the British Bulldog, and I'm not talking about when he was with uh, the British Bulldogs tag team. I, don't, I just feel like WWF kind of dropped the ball with him. I think he could have had a run with the World Title, you know, around the time when Shawn Michaels had it. I mean, he, I it's just one of those things that with the click dominating. I always felt British Bulldog put on some underrated classic matches. He had some good matches with Shawn Michaels. You know, he had a second round of matches with uh, Bret Hart. And, you know, he
2: yeah.
3: you know, he wasn't much of a talker, but he had Jim Cornette to back him up. But I don't know, it's just something held him back. And I just feel like British Bulldog could have been the world champion in WWE. Around the late '90s, right before the Austin period took off, and I think he would have been what? I think he would have been a halfway decent champion. Um, number nine, another definition of an '80s mid Carter, and that is the Hammer, Greg the Hammer Valentine. You know the definition of a pure mid Carter. You know, multiple time Intercontinental Champion in the '80s, had had some great matches with Tito Santana over the belt. Um, World tag team champion, too, with Brutus the Barber Beefcake, aka the Dream Team. But then, like, toward the later part of his career, he would have matches like with, uh, what was it Ronnie Garvin at the end of Ronnie Garvin's career, Dino Bravo? And hell, I think he even put over The Undertaker a couple of times. But toward the end of his career, and I think he went to WCW, too, and had a, a little mini run in the early 90s. I remember seeing him on WCW Saturday Night. But uh, the Hammer, definition of a pure mid-80s, mid-Carter WWF guy. So that'll be my number nine, Greg Valentine.
0: Well, I'll go into my number nine. Uh, My number nine is Double A, the Enforcer, Arn Anderson. Yeah. You know, we've mentioned Arn Anderson on the show before. Um, He was pillar of the four horsemen. Uh, him and Tully were a great tag team, uh, but as a as a solo wrestler, Arn was up there with with just about anybody. You know, he was a if I he was like a four or five time television champion in WCW. He he was he ruled the mid card man. Just I one of the best moves of all time, and I'll tell you. Anybody who doesn't agree, I don't know what to tell you, but. Arn Anderson, Spinebuster, top notch. And every time I would see him do it in in one of his solo matches, I would mark out like nobody's business. Arn Anderson, he's almost the epitome of what you would think a mid-card guy would be. You know, he's especially a mid-card heel. He's a guy who he's going to get the crowd to hate him, but also put over guys and get them to that next level. That's what Arn Anderson was. And he fit that he fit that to a T. That's why I have at number nine, Arn Anderson.
1: I love Arn Anderson. Arn Anderson, like you said, that Spine Buster, I will pop for that every time. He, my one of my all time favorites is when he came out of, of the Ric Flair Undertaker match at WrestleMania out of nowhere. And he gave him the spine buster, and I'll mark to that any day of the week. It was just one of my all-time favorites. And then after that, he would look, he would stare at you while you were on the ground and do the uh, the throat slash right afterwards. That was fantastic. Mm-hmm. But, uh, again, before people jump on me, Arn Anderson and the British Bulldog are not on my list. Uh, they should be. But, again, the way I see a mid Carter is someone that either never won the belt or never headline pay per views. The British Bulldog in like ninety five, ninety six, like every in your house pay per view that was out there at that time, because in your house was a big one for the WWE. He was uh, the main headliner pretty much with Shawn Michaels every time, and then Arn Anderson in the early WCW days, he was always headlining with the Four Horsemen, so kind of disqualified him on that part of my end. Even though, like you said, Arn Anderson's the perfect mid Carter, and I love Arn Anderson, but. When I saw that he kept being on multiple pay-per-view headlines, I was like, all right, I'm gonna disqualify him from that just to take him off my list. But that was I still I don't disagree with it, but I just kinda of wanted to make it a little bit harder on my end. Um I understand. For me, my number nine is uh the ass man, Billy Gunn. Um <laughs> that was uh, or the one Billy Gunn, if if you if you refer to be uh, you know gender neutral on that one but um 1993 came in with the smoking guns and they won the belts in a a hell of a tag team match against bob holly and x Pac. um so they beat them and they they also won the titles against the godwins but then when they split him up he became rockabilly if you remember that where he was uh managed by the honky-tonk man and then out of nowhere uh he meets up with uh the road dog and they become the new age outlaws and become probably the most popular tag team during the attitude era and um, had those amazing feuds with uh, Mick Foley and Terry Funk, where they had that garbage can dumpster match where they had that. And they would feud with the nation of domination as they joined DX. And then don't you mean won- chainsaw, chainsaw Charlie? I'm sorry. Chainsaw Charlie. Um, no, you're no, you're no. very correct. In that one. But uh, he, he, you know, he went on his own and he became Mr. Ass and, he won the King of the Ring. Um he was King of the Ring for a little bit of time and then he lost to the to the right to censor movement where he could no longer be called Mr. Ass, so he became the one Billy Gun, if you remember that. And uh then from there he went into Tony's favorite tag team, Chuck and Billy. And uh that was that was always fun to watch. Um especially the wedding that when three minute warning came out and uh, jumped them during the, uh, the wedding ceremony. And then from there he left, he, he went to TNA and did some stuff over there and came back again uh, in about 2012 with the new age outlaws and they became champ again. And, you know, I think now he's with AEW, like you said, as a wrestler, but I think he's also a backstage producer. But nice. uh, for me, my number nine is
2: uh Billy Gunn.
0: Nice.
1: All right, Adam, how
2: about your number nine? All right. Uh I'm gonna go off for of Rich's number ten. Uh British Bulldog is my number nine. Uh as, as he mentioned, um he, he did. He had he had some good upper mid card runs, and Bob did mention, yeah, he had a short feud with Shawn Michaels. Uh the guy was always just a, a really good worker, um in, in WWF, you know. It's just all those all those stampede guys were just amongst my favorite to watch, and it was great that that vince had that relationship i mean he kind of took every great wrestler Stu hart had and brought him to wwf but a wider audience got to see these guys talents and um he was very underutilized uh, as the in the heart foundation too you had such two big personalities and and brett Owen and Nightheart was always loud you know bulldog was pretty soft-spoken but you know he had a lot of great moves. One of my all-time favorite moves is when he would do the vertical suplex, and he would hold the guy in the air for what seemed like half an hour forever. before he dropped him. I remember he did that to Vader at the infamous uh, Survivor Series '97 uh, pay-per-view. But uh, I always thought it was a shame that you know when the screw job went down, I, I, British Bulldog I think should have stuck around um, and not followed Brett to WCW. I think he would have been a bigger star and they could have kind of kept the remnants of the heart foundation, maybe added to it or something. Um, he just always had his greatest success in, in WWF uh, and put on great matches. And uh, as Rich mentioned too, he, he kind of had a small run in WCW. Uh, I think he had a title match with Vader, that, which he lost, but, but uh, again, uh, he could fight big men. He could fight guys his size. Uh, he's just powerful, and, and he worked at a good pace. Uh, he was one of my uh, one of my all time underrated talents. To me, is Davey Boy Smith, and he checks in for me at number nine. In the net
3: is Shelton Benjamin. I know you guys had him on your lists, but I'll elaborate on one thing with Shelton Benjamin. One thing that could have I'm surprised it and catapult him higher is when he had his feud with Evolution. He did have a victory over Triple H, if you remember that, but. Yeah, tri- and he, you know, he was feuding with Flair, and he might have had a, a victory over him as yeah. well. But I think it's going back to what you said. He was never much of a talker. You know, he had the swagger in the ring. His skill set was unmatched. But I think what I think what was unable to take him to that next level was he just didn't have the charisma. Almost kind of like a Dean Malenko type character, except he was more you know, athletically trained in the NCAA. But I think if Shelton Benjamin would have had a mouthpiece like a Paul Heyman type or, you know, if he was a better talker on his own, I think we would have been talking about a world champion, uh, you know, in the two thousand five, two thousand six era. I think we would have had a world champion right there. So I'm not gonna elaborate much on Shelton Benjamin because you guys pretty much hit the points I would have, but for me, Shelton Benjamin is my number eight.
0: Yeah, yeah, he was on my list, so I totally agree. All right. Uh, my number eight, I'm gonna go. He's been mentioned before as well, Tito Santana. He's you know, always a middle of the card guy, like we like like was said. And he had a great runs with the IC belt. The IC belt you know, is always going to be that that workman's belt, the mid-card belt, uh, the belt that you put on the guy who is going to work his ass off for you night after night, you know. And Tito Santana had, what was it, like two really good runs with the IC belt. And he had great feuds with guys like, you know, Rick Martell, you know I, I I love that that feud he had with Rick Martel after um Strike Force broke up Tito Santana he while he, while he was never a great talker not really very that very charismatic he was some he was somebody that the people could get behind just a total total baby face was always a baby face throughout his entire career fans loved him you wanted to root for him but he was just one of those guys who just was never going to get over that that curb he was just never going to get into that next level and that's okay he had a great solid career outside of that and yeah he's one of the top mid-card guys of all time tito santana my number eight
1: that's a good one right there i, I, I always liked tito santana he was a lot of fun. But uh for my number eight, I go I go with Richie and, and I take Shelton Benjamin. Um always a huge fan of Shelton Benjamin, like you said, like Richie said, um, you know, the guy's work ethic was unmatched, his skills were unmatched. I love that that match that you said earlier with Shawn Michaels where he caught him in midair with the super kick, but um like Richie mentioned he actually did beat Triple H but he beat Triple H three times in a row actually he beat him he pinned him once and then the following time he the next match they had he beat him by disqualification and then the following match after that he beat him by count out so he he did beat uh Triple H three times in a row which not many people can say um he did feud with Evolution like you mentioned but then after that he feuded with Jericho for the IC belt which was a lot of fun to watch because those two talents together in, in a ring is just amazing so when he beat Jericho. He was the IC champ for about 244 days, which was fun. But I liked his time with the World's Greatest Tag Team, with Charlie Haas, those two together, along with uh, Kurt Angle. Those, those were a lot of fun to watch. Um, and uh, like I said, just what they, they, they should have done a lot more with him. Like Richie mentioned, they, he easily could have been the champ. Sure, the guy couldn't talk, but there's so many people that are champs that can't talk for shit and they give him a mouthpiece and unfortunately they didn't give him one but he should have had it um the guy had all the talent in the world to get over people liked him he was so much fun to watch um and then they finally bring him back and they go okay here now you're gonna go tag up with uh chad gable which was uh so much fun to watch and now he's in the hurt business like you said with uh mvp and bobby lashley and some other people but um, I read for a little bit of time that they wanted to rename it the nation of domination again, but they That'd decided to go with the hurt business. So unfortunately, Shelton yeah, Benjamin that, wouldn't, gets, that,
0: that wouldn't have been a good idea. Yeah.
1: Shelton Benjamin gets the, the lack of the stick there, but, um, he's
2: my number eight. Great. All right, Adam, how about your number eight? All right. Uh, this, my number eight is, uh, he's been mentioned by all you, I think. And, uh, Bob's description of Shelton Benjamin would apply to this guy too. I think the only difference is this guy's Canadian. Um, it's Lance Storm. Uh, as everybody mentioned, he, he won titles pretty much wherever he went. Um, I I was shocked. I I guess he won the IC belt in the WWF. I don't I don't remember that, but apparently he did. Um, and he won the tag titles a few times. But you know everyone remembers him best from especially ECW. Uh, Part of the impact players, and then again, he did have a nice run in WCW, and you know that you know when uh with WCW went under and and Vince McMahon purchased it, that that was one of the guys I was most excited about them getting because I knew you know from his work in both promotions he could put on a great match, and he was just a great technical wrestler. Is looking forward to watching him work with some of the guys in WWE. And, and again, it's just the whole, like like Bob just said about Shelton Benjamin, just, you know, wasn't the best talker. So for the, that just sinks guys uh, for some reason. And it's, it's really a shame because Lance Storm is one of the best technical wrestlers ever um, and certainly deserved uh, a little bit more than he got. So um, Lance Storm is my number eight.
3: My number seven is going to be...
1: All right. How about he you, beat number your number seven, Rich? He beat your boy Albert for the IC belt. Wait, what was that, Bob? He
3: beat your boy Albert for the IC
1: belt. Well,
2: Jesus, I hope no, so. that's fine.
3: I forgot Albert was an IC <laughs> champion. They had a bad run of IC Sorry, champions Richie. there for a while outside of Lance Storm. Jesus. Uh-huh. Well, my number seven is the ravishing one, uh, Mr. Rick sure Rude. Did. Um. We talked about his WWF run. Um, he had the feud with Jake Roberts over Cheryl Roberts. Um, you know, he had his he had the Intercontinental Belt for you know from uh, WrestleMania 5 through SummerSlam '89 when he beat the Ultimate Warrior at number five. But you know, he was never they never let him get to the upper top like the like a, like a title run. I could have seen it as in the Ultimate Warrior days because they could have used a heel champion because Ultimate Warrior couldn't draw flies if he had shit on him. But, I mean, he had he had no – I don't know. I think fans <laughs> like the Ultimate Warrior more when he was chasing the title versus actually having a title. But that's just my opinion. But I remember Rick Rudy got frustrated with the situation, goes over to WCW, had a nice run in WCW. He was U.S. champion, and I don't count the big gold belt or the technical name of the title was the WCW international title. So that's why he's on my list. But he had a nice run in WCW, but mainly when he was U.S. champion, Vader was dominating with the belt. There were Ron Simmons or Sting. And I wish they would have given Rude a run. I think if you would have had a Sting versus Rude, feud for the WCW title, especially during the Dangerous Alliance period, I think it would have drawn some money. Because Rick Rick Rude was that classic heel you just love to hate, especially when he would tell them to stop the music and he'd insult the crowd and call them fat and ugly. So one of the all-time great heels, if not the greatest heel of our generation, or one of them, Ravishing Rick Rude, number seven.
0: All right, yeah, so my number seven... Uh, greatest Intercontinental Champion of all time. The Honky yes. Tonk Man is my number seven. Honky Tonk Man, you know, classic heel. He's, like we said, it, it's not just a title, like a tongue-in-cheek title that people say he's the he's the greatest Intercontinental Champion of all time. He is the greatest Intercontinental oh, four, Champion of all
1: time. He, how, long did he eight, how long have that How long was his reign? forever
3: he beat was steamboat like was, right after wrestlemania yeah three it was well steamboat over a year right that long and then he lost it to warrior at summerslam 88
0: yeah so he had it for yeah it was a long time and that whole time he was just dominating left and right i mean for him to have that great of a run says something about him as a performer he's pretty underrated in the ring. I think he could, he could have a great match, but also he's just, you know, the whole package, you know, the insulting the crowd, you know, just the heel tactics. It was, he was tops in my book. He's one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. One of the best mid-carders of all time, in my opinion. One of the best heels of all time. Yeah. Honky Tonk Man, number seven.
2: And he gives some great shoot interviews, too, if you've ever watched him. Yeah, I have. I have. He's pretty, pretty freaking blunt. Well, they're good <laughs> to I love listen it. to and watch. They're there's great. like, like four-hour
0: shoot interviews on YouTube with him. It's, it's nuts.
2: Well, yeah,
1: yeah.
0: All right, Bob, how about your number seven?
1: I, I love when the Honky Tonk Man came back during the Royal Rumble. And uh, he came out playing his guitar. And I think it was just him and Kane that were in the ring. Yep. And Kane just destroyed him. <laughs> that, was, that was a good one. Um, my, my number seven, I go uh, already previously mentioned the uh, the Iceman, Dean Malenko. Um, 95, he came over to ECW and he was part of the triple threat with uh, Shane Douglas and Chris Benoit. And uh, they had that feud with Taz and Sabu for the tag titles for a little bit of time. But then uh, one of my all-time favorite matches, ECW, him and Eddie Guerrero, two out of three, uh, best two out of three match. Still, to this day, one of my all-time favorite matches that he ever had. Um, then in 95, he goes over to, to WCW where he becomes the man of a thousand holds and the Iceman gimmick that they had. And again, he was still having classic mid-card matches with uh, Eddie Guerrero and Chris Jericho. But those mid-card matches were still the best matches of the night, uh, for, especially in WCW. You know, he became a horseman for a little bit of time. And from the horseman, he went over to the Revolution era with uh, Shane Douglas and his group there. And then this goes to show you again how how great WCW is. And they take such a talent like him and they put him in the stable and they they have him feud with the filthy animals and the rest West Texas rednecks. And it's just like, ah, poor Dean Malenko, you know. So then they, uh, they have him come over with the radicals and the WWE. And again... He 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 came over and they had him beat your boy Essay Rios for the light heavyweight title. And um, after that, okay, well, let's have you feud with Perry Saturn. You guys are no longer tag team partners. Now you're going to feud with each other. And and then after that, uh, we're going to have you feud with Jacqueline and Ivory for a little bit of time. And um, you're going to lose to them. And. And then that was it. You know, unfortunately, that was the end of his career when he was wrestling there. Last known having a feud with Jacqueline and Ivory. And it was just really bad, unfortunately. But the guy had so much talent, so much skill. Um, I'll I'll always remember when he was feuding with Jericho in WCW and he came in dressed as uh, Sequel Pay and he took off the mask. That was still one of the loudest pops I've ever heard. Um, But for me, my number seven is uh, the Iceman, Dean Malenko.
0: Yeah, sure. you can't remember WWE also doing the whole thing where he was stalking Alita, remember? Yeah, yeah. That oh, that was no bad. He
3: didn't. That was bad.
0: <laughs> Dean Dean definitely did not deserve any of that. No, no. Alright, Adam, it. how about your number seven? Doesn't he still work for them? No, I don't not. know if he was he's part an- of like the furloughs or what, but...
2: He, he's in AEW. Oh, okay. oh, is he? Okay. Is he- yeah. Well, I know Good he worked. Her. I know. Yeah. I know he worked for WWF for a long time. I hope they paid him well because just here, just uh, re, you regaling us and all that. Oh, what a awful. My um, number seven, uh, I agree with Rich. Uh, I have Rick Rude down. I'm going to qualify the pick by uh, discussing his uh, WWF days because um, he was an IC champ and he again going back to what we defined as a mid-carder earlier in the show he just made everybody in the ring with him better and he had some classic feuds with jake the snake as mentioned and uh and you know everybody on the self-destruction the ultimate warrior video goes out of their way to compliment his patience and his ability to not you know destroy himself after having the work with the ultimate warrior night in and night out and and, you know, he was there to get the best out of him and, and he got the best out of everybody uh, he faced and uh, and he was cutting edge for his time. I mean, you know, Tony was just talking about the honky-tonk man and, you know, pretty much, you know, a lot of heels back then in the WWF were like, I'm big and I don't like Hulk Hogan, so you should hate me. But Rick Rude was different. He He insulted the fans directly. And, you know, just the whole uh, pseudo stripper gimmick that was very adult at the time and kind of, it was like a precursor to, to attitude. I, I, I'm i sure there's some Valvenus fans out there, but uh, Val Venus was always a poor man's Rude to me. And, uh, and it, uh then when he went to WCW, that was a rare case of they took him and they made him even better. So that's why I qualified with uh, him in WWF because... He did have a long US title run in WCW and he won the infamous Big Gold Belt several times and then you know he had some good matches with Sting and Flair over that belt so he was more of a main eventer in me for me in WCW but the WWF version I, I really think uh he would have been a great heel champion and and it was a wasted opportunity by Vince McMahon Uh, Just classic heel ahead of his time uh, ravishing. And number six is uh,
3: Razor Ramon. Nice. Um, In the WWF, you know, he had a, came in late 92, you know, teamed up with Flair against Savage and Perfect in the Survivor Series match that attracted a lot of heat, had a decent run, you know, had a decent heel run. I mean he had the title match with Bret Hart at the ninety-three rumble. That was a pretty good three star match. Not a classic, but good. But then once he lost to one, two, three kid and became a face, that's when his you know he became he was he was a staple of the mid-card. Four time Intercontinental Champ or um he had the nice ladder match with Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania 10 and the second one at SummerSlam uh, ninety-five uh, the feud with Goldust, you know, and even to some extent, when he went to WCW, I still think he was kind of a mid carter there. He never won the world title at WCW. Um, you know, he, him and Hall were a great tag team together. and But as far as I can recall, he never he never main-evented anything in WCW as well. So to me, I would consider that still part of the mid And in WWF, he had the tools. He was a great wrestler in WWF until he got the WCW and he started wrestling the beer bottles more than the actual wrestlers themselves, which unfortunately derailed his career. And that drunken gimmick he did in 1998 or so against Kevin Nash. I just think that kind of took the wind out of um, his career. And even when he went back to WWF as part of the NWO in 2002 against Steve Austin. I mean that was the middle of the card in WrestleMania, but Scott Hall. And then don't forget, prior to his WWF days, he had the world's greatest porn star mash in the AW mustache in the AWA.
0: All right. Well, my number six is uh <laughs> the most talented wrestler to ever uh strap a casket to the back of his car and drive it out of a funeral. Oh, that wow. is <laughs> I'm talking about the big boss man, of course. <laughs> um, and, as, and as he's driving the casket away, you have the big show on top Taking of it on. screaming. Yep. Like oh, it totally God. Still, still one of the funniest things I've ever seen in wrestling. Uh, but, yeah. Ray Trailer, the big boss man. You guys have all said it already. Just a great talent overall. Big guy. Uh, very agile for his size. Just as effective as a heel as he as a face as he was a heel you know he the fans got over with him when he was a face absolutely hated him when he was a heel um I loved his uh his tag team with Hakeem. you know he was a great tag team wrestler as well just he was that big boss man gimmick he was able to to um to capitalize on it in two different generations you know he had it he he was really big on it in the hogan era and then he came back during the attitude era as the same character and got over as well so yeah unfortunately he died at a very young age uh but his legacy will always live on ray trailer big boss man my number
1: six good man from Cobb County Georgia I love her I love Rachel right uh Richie just to uh the again one of the reasons I didn't put Scott Hall on there was because Scott Hall actually did main event a bunch of uh pay-per-views for for WCW when he was um actually the very first one that where Hulk Hogan came out they were Bash at the Beach him and uh Kevin Nash with with Hogan um that was one of the first ones that they headlined and then after that he headlined uh a couple other ones where he was with the outsiders so that's one of the reasons why I didn't put Scott Hall on my list but um for me uh my number six I go with one of the guys that uh, I loved as a kid and uh first time I ever saw the DDT was uh Jake the Snake Roberts um love Jake the Snake Roberts like uh like I remember Back in the day, he he came out and he was feuding with uh, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, and he had the snake, and Steamboat brought out the Komodo Dragon, if you remember that. Um, and then they had him hosting the, the snake pit, um, kind of like Piper's Pit kind of thing, but he had the snake pit on there for a while. And um, I remember one day he, he, he attacked Hulk Hogan, and while he attacked Hogan, the crowd kept chanting for him to do the DDT. So then Vince says no we're going to we're going to go ahead and take this away cuz we don't want you to be a bigger uh people cheering for you when you're wrestling against Hogan so that kind of killed that push for him there. But uh after that like he had those feuds with uh, Rick Rude like it was mentioned earlier uh over Cheryl Roberts and and then um I'll always remember yeah. the the two feuds with uh Bad News Brown. Remember when Bad News Brown had the the rats um I forgot That's how Harlem they built sewer it. rats. Yeah, it's the Harlem <laughs> Steel Rats. The, that was a classic one, and then one of my all time favorites was uh, when he was blinded by the arrogance of Rick Martel. Good old WrestleMania Seven. The
0: arrogance.
1: <laughs> the classic blindfold match was one of my all time favorites. Um, and then I was sad when Earthquake sat on his uh, his Damian Snake, and he came back with Lucifer, and then he turned heel, and he attacked Randy Savage, and he had the the Cobra Bite Savage, and um you know so those are definitely good times for jake roberts but again the dude can wrestle the dude can talk he could cut a promo i mean maybe a couple months ago he showed up at aew and he came out and he cut a promo on cody and probably one of the best promos i've heard in years just the guy could still talk he was amazing on the mic but he never won anything. They they never pushed him as anything. Uh they never gave him any any belts. Um they brought him back after a while and after because he went to WCW and he had that coal miners match, uh spin the wheel, make the deal with Sting. Um but then after that they brought him back and that's when he was a born-again Christian and he they put him in the the King of the Ring and that's when Austin was uh was created. But again, they, they just they had so much talent with that guy. And I think like Adam mentioned at the very beginning, Jake Roberts was the gatekeeper slash mechanic. Like this was the guy that could work for you 100% of the day that you could get stuff done for you, but they never rewarded him in any way. And I, I always think Jake Roberts should have been, but for me, he's my number six.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Can't argue with Jake Roberts, man. All right, Adam, how about your number six?
2: My number six, Bob's number six segues perfectly into mine, um, except uh, the man that Jake the Snake put over King of the Ring before he was Stone Cold. He was Stunning Steve Austin in WCW, and Stunning Steve is my number six. The man won every title but the world title in WCW. Um, When I go back and watch uh, his matches, he kind of reminds me of a young Shawn Michaels or Kurt Henning. He was that good. He could bump. And uh, he drew the heel. he was you know, uh, speaking of arrogance, he had the long blonde hair and, and uh, just very disliked and uh, just the great uh, technician in the ring. And uh, talk, you know, I referred to Chris Jericho earlier about, you know, Jericho was pitching Bischoff ideas, trying to get new talent mixed in with established talent. And Austin was of the same mindset at the time. He was the U.S champion. The fact he had the job, the hacksaw on Jim Duggan in 30 seconds still uh, makes me sick just thinking about it. Um, but he was he was up there. He was the U.S. champion a couple times, and he pitched an idea where because they had similar hairlines that he should be like a long lost relative of Hulk Hogan and have a feud with him. I think how tremendous would that have been? And and if wrestling history could have been changed, the two biggest names arguably in the history of wrestling would have worked together in the mid nineties, who knows what would have happened. Uh, so again, when he went to WWF at first, uh, it's JR says it himself in Austin's book, he was just looked at as a glorified mechanic that wouldn't go any higher than the intercontinental title. And of course we all know what happened, but, uh, before he was stone cold, he was stunning. And, uh, one of the most criminally underused wrestlers uh, of all time at the time. So stunning Steve Austin is my number six.
0: Nice. What do you prefer? The stunner or the hot shot?
2: Oh, you or mean the, the, stun,
0: the stun gun? I'm sorry.
2: I I still got to go with the stunner because just the enormous impact it has to this day. But, but the stun gun was, it was a hell of a move also.
1: Nice. Even over the, even over the
2: million dollar dream. <laughs> yes uh I, I, he utilized that for a little while even after DBSC left i remember yeah i think it was michael hayes who uh got uh number the five man. is Thank the king God. of
3: hearts owen hart some might have gone as far as to say he might have been the most talented of all the hearts he can yeah. wrestle he had the five-star match with Bret hart at wrestlemania 10 he had another five-star match with Bret Hart at SummerSlam 94. And the and he had a five-star match with him and Bret versus the Steiner Brothers at WrestleFest 94 on Coliseum Home Video. One, one of the all-time underrated classics. Yeah, there's a little pitch there. But, you know, he was a great talker. Yes. And his use of the <laughs> Slammy Awards... As like his little as his little talking point. Plus with Jim Cornette as his mouthpiece. The guy could draw instant heat. You know, especially when he especially his matches with Shawn Michaels, especially when Shawn Michaels had his, you know, feinted in the middle of the ring and how much heat that brought on Owen Hart, making it look like he was the reason, you know, Michaels did that. You know, he was an intercontinental champion. Yeah, unfortunately, he changed wrestling history by botching the move on Stone Cold at SummerSlam 97, but, you know, he was one of the great technicians, you know, leader, you know, one of the leaders of the Hart Foundation. He had a nice tag team with uh, British Bulldog, Davey Boy Smith. And I always wondered, he's a guy that they could have given a world title run with, but unfortunately, we'll never know. For some strange reason, Vince McMahon thought the blue blazer gimmick would work in 1999 in the attitude era which is that would have gone over well as a fart in church but and unfortunately that stupid idea led to probably one of the greatest wrestling tragedies of our time if not the greatest tragedy of our time worst tragedy i should say because that guy had nothing but talent and it's a shame what happened but my number five Owen Hart.
0: All right. Well, my number five. I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna agree with Bob, and I'm gonna go with Jake the Snake Roberts. You know, like Bob said, he was one of the top guys in the in the Federation. Everywhere he went, but he just never he never won any titles. He never really competed for the top title. He was always just kind of a uh, like a gatekeeper almost he was he was there to have you know great matches which he always did he was a great worker in the ring one of the most underrated talkers in the ring you know his psychology is second to none as everybody would tell you Uh, Jake Roberts was just you know a wrestler among wrestlers and the fact that he never got a major run with any of the titles really is dumbfounding considering you know the kind of wrestler he was so yeah i mean i would love to think of jake roberts as more than just like a middle of the card guy but that's in reality you can't really ignore that that's what he was and he's my number five jake the snake roberts
1: little jake roberts um <laughs> another guy that uh kind of similar in the Jake Roberts aspect the um like the mechanic like I I like that word Adam pitched mechanic I I really like that one but um uh, for me the guy never got the belt he I guess he did get it on a technicality cuz he purchased it but number 5 the million dollar man Ted DiBiase um He uh, he came in with his own belt. He created the million dollar belt. But I remember uh, back in the day when he came out in 87, he he was the million dollar man and he had uh, his boy Virgil with him. And, you know, he uh, the guy it was a fantastic heel. The guy was just amazing talker, uh, great technician in the ring. I I, I see him wrestle and I would I would think of him as Arn Anderson wrestling as, the the, you know, that version for the WWE. Like he was just amazing technician um but then yeah we he, andre the giant beats hulk hogan saturday night main event with the two uh the two hebner referees and then uh the million dollar man purchases it off of him to become the champion and uh good old president jack tony says no this isn't gonna happen so they strip the belt and uh, they never considered DiBiase technically the champ so he never really won it and then they have the paper uh the tournament for the title where he loses to savage but um i i i forgot that back in 88 they had a king of the ring tournament which dibiase won um but after that you know he, he kind of just starts going downhill from there you know they put him in uh, the tag team with uh, money inc with irs and you know they were tag champs they were feuding with the legion of doom and the nasty boys and stuff like that but then after that he got hurt and uh they just said, OK, just go off and be a manager. And he had the corporation. And then after they did the corporation thing, he left there and he showed up in WCW. And, you know, he uh, he was the fourth member of the NWO, supposedly, even though he never really did anything there because he was hurt. And um, again, just the guy was an amazing wrestler. He could talk. He was fantastic, but they never gave him the belt. So for me, my number five is uh, the million dollar man, Ted DiBiase.
0: It's a good pick. Really good pick.
2: Yeah, that that's a great pick. I agree. I unfortunately uh he he was on my list and I took him off only because he he headlined so many uh pay-per-views when he first came in and also I, I, he was arguably the top heel in the company for for some time, but that was that was a hard one. I it could have gone either way for me. Uh my number 5 is somebody who is one of the most talented wrestlers of all time and uh, won a world title or two in, in uh, NWA slash WCW. And as this typical Vince McMahon goes to WWF and is completely underutilized, then that would be Ricky Steamboat. Obviously, everyone remembers his classic match with Savage at WrestleMania three and other feuds like with Jake Roberts and, and Don Morocco. Um, and, you know, won the belt, but, uh, God forbid he asked for some time off and Vince McMahon pretty much told him to get lost, even though one of the most talented, greatest workers of all time goes to WCW wins the title. Vince brings him back, uh, has him, uh, learn to, uh, breathe fire. Um, actually, I don't know if anyone's heard this, but Bruce Pritchard has a great story about how he and Rick Steamboat had to, uh, taught how to well Pritchard didn't learn but he was there for Steamboat learning how to breathe fire before he could wrestle he comes back to WWF and even though he was undefeated on television during that second run they never did anything with him I think he had some backstage disagreements and just decided to go back to WCW but uh, I mean for for the amount of talent that's there and the fact that he could get a great match out of anybody I mean and he just kind of dangled around the mid-card is, is criminal because um, he's one of my favorite wrestlers ever.
3: But I remember, I remember a remember and a session with Ted DiBiase back in 2006 at a convention. And I remember him saying, he said, out of all his years in the business, he said the greatest heel of all time was Jake Roberts. His psychology was second to none. He makes you believe it. He didn't have the body of a Hogan. And he obviously wasn't as fast as, say, like a Chris Jericho or Ricky Steamboat. But his psychology and his wrestling knowledge it was second to none. And, you know, just he, the, guy, the guy was an amazing heel. But, you know, personal demons got in the way of it. So, you know, he unfortunately wasn't trustworthy. I mean, I think that's more or less what it was. You know, was he going to go off on a bender? God forbid something happens. It's good that he cleaned up his life, but eh, a lot of wasted potential there. My number four, Jake Roberts.
0: Nice. All right. Well, my number four um, going into this, we set rules for uh, who, you know, what we would consider a mid-carter. And one of the rules I made was, you know, it could be Federation specific. Because some wrestlers, you know, were mid carders in one federation, but they may have been main eventers in another. I made that rule specifically thinking about this wrestler, and Adam made my point right before, before I put him on. You know, before I named him, it's WWF's Ricky Steamboat is my number four. Um, Ricky Steamboat, one of the best wrestlers ever. Anybody who ever watches wrestling or knows anything about wrestling will tell you how great of a wrestler Ricky Steamboat was. Um he can command a crowd over you know babyface like no other. And uh Of course, like Adam said, Vince just didn't know what the hell to do with him. You know, they yeah, he put the IC belt on him, and I think it was mainly because he couldn't deny his talent. He knew how great of a worker steamboat was. So, of course, he's going to put the IC belt on him, but he didn't know how to fully utilize the guy. Um, His entire run in WWF was just kind of like he was an also-ran. You know, Hogan was running the joint, of course, but you had so many other guys who could have gotten in on it, gotten in on some of the action, you know, like Savage. Savage was another guy who, you know, was a main event guy even though Hogan was there. And I thought Steamboat could have been another guy in that vein, but it just wasn't meant to be for whatever reason. Um, yeah, you know, Steamboat was never much of a of a promo guy, but he didn't need to be. He was such a over baby face that it didn't matter. Steamboat, you know, had so many great matches. Of course, the one in WCW with Flair for the title sticks out, but the one in WWF, of course, is his match with Savage at WrestleMania three. He would just give you tons and tons of great work. And why it never translated to a main event run in WWF, I have no idea. So, yeah, Number four, uh, the WWF version of Ricky the Dragon Steamboat.
1: I like it. I like Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. He's one of my favorites. Um, for me, I'm going to go with uh, Richie's Rowdy. You already mentioned them, but for my number four, um, Owen Hart. Owen Hart is my number four. I remember when he first came in back in 91, he came out with uh, Jim the Anvil Nightheart and uh created the new foundation and that was so fantastic that they ended up breaking oh, it up and he gets the privilege of teaming up with none other than People beware and high energy so that was definitely a good time um <laughs> i think adam and i talked about this last time, where we remember when high energy first debut we were watching it and it's just like wow that's bad <laughs> but um and then 1993 is when they, he, you know, you start noticing Owen Hart when he turns on Brett. I think they were wrestling the Quebecers and, you know, uh, they, they bump into each other and they have the blues in the match. And, you know, that's when you started noticing Owen is more of a heel and like, all right, cool. I, I see you. And, they, you know, they, he becomes the king of the ring in 1994. And like Richie mentioned earlier, the steel cage yeah. match at SummerSlam with Brett and the WrestleMania Brett. But the guy was just fantastic as yes. a heel. He can make you hate him. I remember when he conned uh, his mom into throwing the towel in against mm-hmm. uh Macklin. man did I hate that guy at that moment, you know. <laughs> just, no, how dare you? Uh, but uh you know he was tag champ with Yokozuna, he was tag champ with the British Bulldog, uh when they in ninety seven when they did the the Hart Foundation again. Um like you said, he was just as big as Bret Hart in that group. Um and then afterwards he leaves and he joins the Nation of Domination and he does the uh the nugget and enough is enough it's time for a change gimmick and you know he was feuding with them for a while then they throw him over there with Jeff Jarrett and he he was a tag champ with Jeff Jarrett for a little bit of time but um again he's uh he, a mid Carter for life for me like Owen Hart was just amazing he was an amazing talent the dude could talk the dude could wrestle circles around anybody possibility that maybe he was one of the best hearts even though Brett was amazing too but Again, never gave him the top belt, never ran the company, and um, that's why, for me, my number four is uh, Owen Hart.
0: Nice. How about your number four, Adam?
2: My number four is a guy who is a great talent, too, and I think the only reason he's number four on my list is because he had had extended periods of inactivity because of injuries, but uh, Kurt Henning, Mr. Perfect, is my number four. Uh, I remember him coming in and... And uh, I don't know, not liking him just because he was so cocky and at the time. And again, you want to talk about uh, you know Tito Santana again? He faced Tito Santana in the finals for the IC belt in 1990 when the Warrior vacated the title after he beat Hogan. And I believe that some the genius interfered or something, and, <laughs> and uh, Tito got screwed again, and, and Mr. Perfect won the title, and I was mad. But then the more I watched him, I was just in awe of him as a. Uh, performer uh I, I saw a match he, he fought piper at the horizon uh shortly after he won the belt and those two just tore the house down uh the, the piper was you know his usual crazy self and and uh henning just sold everything piper threw at him and it's stuff i mean he was just such a gifted wrestler he bumped like crazy and and it was a awesome intercontinental champion he won twice his match with bret hart uh, when Brett beat him for the title, just one of the all-time greats. Uh, They had a rematch at King of the Ring, I think, 93 maybe. I think that was the one when Owen won it. Uh, He just put on great match after great match. And then, uh, you know, again, he got injured and was kind of inactive. Uh, But then he resurrected his career in WCW. They did that great storyline where he was going to take Arn's place as the enforcer and the horseman. And he turned on Flair, slammed the cage door on his head and, and uh, join the NWO. Those, those, those a great uh, storyline there. And then, of course, uh, I would be remiss if I didn't mention the West Texas uh, Rednecks myself. Um, just, uh, I think if injuries hadn't limited him, he could have been a great heel champion in in either company.
3: He was the definition of the perfect mid Carter, especially with the Intercontinental Belt. You knew if Mister Perfect was wrestling, whether it be against Hart at SummerSlam '91 or Texas Tornado or Roddy Piper, you knew you were going to get a four star match out of Mister Perfect. Um, he was that great in the ring. Uh, you know, unfortunately, injuries did take a toll on him, and you know he wasn't he wasn't the same after. You know, after his his back injury in 91, although he did have a nice run in 93. He had some matches with Shawn Michaels, um, the second classic with Bret Hart at King of the Ring. And, you know, w, w, then he goes out again with an injury, goes back to WCW. I could have seen him as a horseman. I think that would have been a good role for him uh, as an enforcer in the horseman. Plus, his history with Flair. In WWF, it would have made sense. It would have provided some continuity. But this is WCW. They can't do anything right. And, of course, the West Texas Rednecks. But one thing I will also bring up, too, was when he came back in 2002, he was third in the Royal Rumble. And I could have seen him making a late run in his career in 2002. Obviously, he never got above the mid-card again. And the plane ride from hell, more or less, ended his career. Mm-hmm. But yeah, f- as one of the greatest if not as one of the greatest wrestlers, pure wrestlers of all time, my number three will be Mr. Perfect. And also he was my favorite video game character on WrestleFest. So I got to add him higher for that.
0: Well, my number three is uh, Razor Ramon. Scott Hall. In WWF as Razor Ramon, that's my number three.
2: You AWA. know Razor
0: Scott Hall as a wrestler is kind of a it's it's a weird thing. You know he had he had good runs. You know in where, where what territory was he? Did he come up in? Um, it was AWA, AWA right?
2: Yeah, Mr. he
0: he had good run. He had good runs in those territories AWA, but he he was never he never really had. It, you know, and then he went to WCW, you know, he became the Diamond Stud, which is kind of a little like Razor Ramon, I guess a little bit, but not really. It wasn't until he got to the WWF and they put the Razor gimmick in him that you could finally see what Scott Hall was truly capable of. And he he ran with it, man. He he took that character and turned it into um icy gold he never he never quite made the main event in WWF but he was another guy who really didn't have to he was he was great in his role of being a mid-card guy and I I loved watching Razor Ramon back in the day when I was a kid I would that that ladder match he had with Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania 10 still one of my favorite matches of all time so yeah can't speak anything bad of Razor Ramon. He's my number three.
1: Hey. Yo. I, I love this when he was in <laughs> WCW and he would do the, the survey. That was one of my all-time mm-hmm. favorites. Was Another awesome. one for the good guys. I got I got a, I got a chance to meet him, Bischoff and Scott Hall and uh or and Kevin Nash, I'm sorry. I got a chance to meet the three of them and they were super cool. My my boy at that time was maybe about five, six years old. And uh, all of a sudden, he walks up to them, and he goes, hi, guys. And and Eric Bischoff just walks out from the table, picks him up, brings him next to him, and all three of them are playing with my son, which I thought was the coolest thing ever. I'm like, holy crap, this is so fun. Scott Hall is, is talking to my kid. But um, enough from that. Uh, my number three has already been mentioned, the ravishing one, Rick Rude. Uh, giant fan of ravishing Rick Rude. Um, when he came out, just... The perfect perfect heel again just as good as uh, mr perfect as a worker uh but the guy could work as that he, he just had the crowd instantly when he would come out like you said earlier uh when he would cut the promos where he would tell the fans to shut up and all the all the ladies uh you know to uh to just uh focus on him and um it was just amazing just the way that he could work the crowd so easily um you know, he had that feud with Jake Roberts mentioned earlier than when he would wrestle against the Ultimate Warrior. But Adam mentioned it earlier, Um, just the guy was just so much fun to watch. I, I I loved him. I remember when he came over in WCW under the mask and he joined the, the Dangerous Alliance and he feuded with Ric Flair for a while. Uh, like we did mention, he won the big gold belt. But to me, it didn't last a long time. So I didn't really consider it uh i loved when he feuded with sting sting uh obviously was the big poster boy for wcw for such a long time but the the matches he had with sting were so much fun and then you know later on the career, he shows up in ecw and he feuds with shane douglas and you know he was in uh dx for a little bit of time when he came back and then all, next thing you know he's in the nwo and you're like whoa where the hell is this guy he's everywhere but um I just feel like they could have done so much more with Rick Rude, and they they never did. But the guy was just amazing, and so much fun to watch. So for me, my number three is the uh, ravishing Rick Rude.
0: Nice.
2: All right, Adam, your number three, please. My number three has been mentioned too, um, uh, Owen Hart, the King of Hearts. Uh, just uh, you know, I'm looking at my list, and and uh, you know how some of these guys never got to be champion is just baffling to me Owen, i think the only reason he was never a champion had to do with the click i I don't think there's any other reason that he was never world champion other than the backstage politics i mean he had it all uh bob mentioned the new foundation i was a big fan of that team too um even when he was the blue blazer for a brief period he had a match with kurt henning at wrestlemania 5 which was an underrated match considering the talents involved Um, and then, yeah, uh, he got, he he went into a singles run. Uh, it was just a great heel for the longest time, uh, feuding with Brett and uh, pretty much if, uh, you had a favorite wrestler at the time he feuded with them and, you know, he was, he was a cocky heel, but he was, he was fun. He was just so much fun to watch. I mean, it was fun to hate him and it was fun to watch him try to be hated. Uh, Rich mentioned the slammies. I mean, what, then, you know. Who cared about the slammies before Owen Hart carried those two slammies to the <laughs> ring with him? Nobody gave a crap about the slammies. But, you know, the ring announcer, you know, announcing him as the slammy award winning Owen Hart, it's like he's almost saying at the time, I don't need belts. I got these awesome slammies. It's just, that was just so creative. And, you know, as time went on, you know, he did get to have the icy strap for a while and he had that great feud with Austin and, uh, and unfortunately, yeah, the injury did happen, but you know, unfortunately injuries happened in wrestling. Um, he was just, uh, other, he was just a tremendous worker and uh, you know, the, the fans just really <laughs> couldn't stand him. Um, and then going back to the Montreal screw job, um, I've heard in, in different places that, uh, he was going to have a, a feud with Shawn Michaels after, uh, after Brett left and, you know the click kind of put the kibosh on that and it's really a shame because i, I the two of them when they worked together tore the house down all the time too um so uh and i think you know when he did do the run in at the one pay-per-view a few weeks after the screw job i mean he was really over as a face he's probably number 2 uh behind Austin in terms of popularity i think they really dropped the ball there but this one's kind
3: of a borderline one <laughs> He had the charisma of a main eventer. There's no doubt about it. You know, he main evented with Hogan, you know, in 84, 85 MTV. But the problem was yeah. after the run with Hogan, you know, he had the feuds with Adrian Adonis at WrestleMania three. He had the feuds with Bad News Brown, uh, with Ted D.B. Dibi- yeah, the infamous uh, when he painted his face. Um. You know, he, you know, he was feuding with Ted DiBiase, you know, with kind of sort of being Virgil's mentor, you know, yes, he had, he beat the Mountie at the Rumble 92 for the Intercontinental title. And even prior to WrestleMania, when he was still in WC, uh, NWA, he had feuds with Greg Valentine and the infamous dog collar match at Starrcade 83 and. You know, he had the feuds with Ric Flair in the early 80s over the U.S. and TV titles before Flair became NWA champion. He... I I think McMahon could have did a run with Roddy Piper as champion, and I think he would have done just as well as Hogan. Roddy Piper was a more realistic type of wrestler. You know, he was crazy. Um, His charisma is second to none. Piper's pit. I could go on and on and on about this, but... I still find it shocking to this day that during his WWF run, he only had a three-month run with the Intercontinental title. And that's an absolute shame. You know, I think he may have been in the mid-card most of his career, but he was the pure definition of he should have been a main eventer had they booked him properly. Roddy Piper, number two.
0: Well, like I said, that's that's what makes this list so so hard and so cool because it's... So subjective, you know we we each have our own opinions on what a mitt Carter is and should be, so yeah, I can't blame you for putting Piper up there because, like you said, he's borderline, so yeah, yeah, that's cool, all right, my number two is you guys have all mentioned him, King of Hearts, Owen Hart is my number two, um Owen Hart is. Was such a great wrestler that that goes without saying. His matches were great. You know he had those run he had those feuds without with uh, Brett, and those matches with Brett are just some of the greatest matches you'll ever see. You know the the steel cage match at SummerSlam, the match he had with him at WrestleMania. Those, those matches are classics, just five star, no doubt classics. You know he he was great you know the blue blazer even though it was a crap gimmick he still you know was great in the ring even in that stupid ass outfit um he he made you care about him whether it was as a heel or as a face you cared about owen um he made he made you he made you laugh you know he was one of the he was one of the hearts that actually had a sense of humor
3: <laughs>
1: and
0: you know, like like Adam said, him treating the, those two, the Slammy Awards like he won the Oscars, that was that was magnificent. I I loved that. You know, him just coming out to the to the ring with those Slammy Awards was was great. And not only did he have a personality, he had you know he could talk he could sell a match his in-ring skills were second to none you know he was he was just one of the best and the fact that he never had a run with the big belt is stupefying to me especially since it was served right on a platter he had that that feud with brett when he was the champ he could have he could have won one of those matches and at least had a short run with the championship but just was never meant to be. So, yeah. Number two, Owen Hart.
1: I like how you referenced disturbed during that period right there where you said stupefied. Um, yeah.
2: <laughs> I, I
1: actually heard an interview with Bret Hart once where Bret Hart pushed for Owen to win the title and Vince wouldn't do it. Um, he kept wanting Bret or Bret kept pushing for Owen to take the title from him so they could continue their feud, but he just wouldn't do it and then while you're talking i'm thinking of imagine if owen hart in his prime would have had a match with my number two in his prime and i would pay top dollar for that that's uh owen hart versus ricky the dragon steamboat that would be so much yeah. fun to watch um my number two like i said is ricky the dragon steamboat you guys have mentioned him earlier multiple times to me one of the best wrestlers ever ever loved ricky the dragon steamboat loved everything about him but just the uh the fact that vince didn't know what the hell to do with him was just utterly sad like adam mentioned you know he was the ic champ in that classic match with uh savage but then when he requested time off because his kid was being born they just decided to punish him for it and um you know he he got screwed over but he left for there, and he went to go to WCW. He had those amazing matches with Ric Flair, uh, Tito's favorite Chi-Town Rumble that he always mentioned. But then in 91, he comes back, and, hey, let's, let's give you the Dragon gimmick, which is horrible again. But you, you always wanted to cheer Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. like He was just so much fun to watch. You knew you were going to get a classic match out of the man. But he was such a great ring technician. And, and again, just amazing to watch him. Um even when he went over to WCW out towards the end of his career where he was tag champs with Dustin Rhodes and you know, he feuded for with Austin for the T V championship. Um just always a huge fan of Ricky the Dragon Steamboat and for for me, he's uh he's my number two.
0: Nice. I miss when he used to come out to the ring with that Komodo Dragon. Gosh. That was that was always, that was the best.
2: Uh, One of of my favorite house show moments was uh, when he did the dragon gimmick in the early 90s. And uh, uh, I forgot who he was fighting, but he was the opening match. He came out, stood up on the buckle and did the fireball. And someone had a Hulk Hogan number one pointer and singed the top of it off with the fireball. (laughs) Sort of my (laughs) favorite house show memories. Uh, my number two has been mentioned by all, I I think all of you, maybe, maybe at least two of you. Um, uh, and that would be double A Arn Anderson. Um, you know, when I think the word, the the letters WCW, of course, think of flair. And I think of Sting, but Arn is, is right up there. I mean, I know he had a run in the WWF when, Tag belts uh, with Tully, It's the Brain Busters, but Arn Anderson was a a big part of WCW. I I looked over his titles, and I could not believe that the highest he ever went singles-wise was the TV title. I could have sworn he might have won the U.S. belt, but I guess he didn't. I mean, the guy was just a workhorse in the ring. The thing I liked about him, too... He looked like a guy who could kick your ass. Like if you're just hanging out at a bar, he's sitting at the end of the bar, not talking to anybody, he's just drinking and staring you down. Like yeah, I, uh, I could beat your ass right now if I wanted to. Just that's Arn just had that look, and and everyone was mentioning some of his great moves. I I too thought that was one of the highlights of WrestleMania eighteen. I was like, just the way that was shot was perfect. Where Arn came out of nowhere and. I mean, the man had been retired for years already, and he he took a 350-pound guy and just jacked him with that spine buster. I mean, uh, everything he did looked stiff, looked great, and just such a great work rate. And I mean, so many – you know, Ric Flair, of course, they're synonymous with each other. I mean, those two are responsible for, for making so many careers in NWA slash Crockett slash WCW. Um, just just synonymous with the brand, and now uh, you know as a road agent imparting his knowledge to so many talents over the years, and now he's got a major role in AEW. Uh, he's given so much to wrestling, and the fact that he's hasn't ever had a major title, he's one of the greatest wrestlers to have never won a major world title in my view. So that's why Arn is my number two.
3: It goes the Ayatollah of rock and roll on <laughs> number five, Chris Jericho. McFoley slash Cactus Jack number four, Crispin Juan number three, Eddie Guerrero number two, and Steve Austin number one. Eric Bischoff was so smart, you know, letting those guys go, you know, some of the vanilla midgets over there. It was one of Eric Bischoff's greatest moves. It was right up there with keeping the NWO more stale than a two-year-old bread. So my hat's off to Eric Bischoff for being the smartest man with this list. So there it is. That's that's my consolation bracket. I decided to go that route where I put my main five guys who were a mid-carder in one federation, but a main eventer in another federation into the console bracket.
0: I I totally agree with you. WCW dropped the ball on all those dudes big time. Um, my honorable <laughs> mentions. I'll start. Um, I can't believe you all three of you had him. I'm the biggest Tajiri mark in the world, yet <laughs> all of you had him in your top 20, and I only have him in my honorable mentions. What the fuck was that? Oh okay. my god,
2: but you guys yeah, tajiri, man higher than me, too. So, there you yeah, go.
0: that's right. But yeah, Tajiri is in my honorable mentions, also in my honorable mentions. The Fallen Angel, Christopher Daniels, Um, he's had runs in a lot of federations. The guy is an indie superstar, has been doing it for ages, but he's never just quite been that top guy. And for his talent and how long he's been around, you'd think he would have gotten some kind of big time, you know, time in one of the federations, but he never did. And I think that's a damn shame. So yeah, Christopher Daniels is my second honorable mention. My third, Bob mentioned him earlier. D'Lo Brown, I love D'Lo Brown. He has, he's probably has my favorite frog splash of all time. You know, even better than Eddie Guerrero's and RVD. See, I, I loved how D'Lo Brown got up there and like he put his arms like in between his legs and then just spread out. D'Lo had an awesome frog splash as well as an awesome. Um, well, it was a good running power bomb. It got somebody, unfortunately very injured. Um, but I like that move too. But D'Lo Brown is my number third honorable mention. Um, my fourth honorable mention, uh, I believe he was on Rich's list, Greg, the hammer Valentine. Um, he had the icy belt there in the, in the eighties for, for a bit Great mid eighties heel, great mid card guy, Greg Valentine, and my number five honorable mention, um, Tully Blanchard. Tully Blanchard, uh, I he's underrated as a singles guy. I think I, I think a lot of people put him nice. when they think of Tully, they think mostly of him in the tag team with Arn, but Tully had as a singles wrestler was great. And But he was never quite that top guy. And I, I'll give Tully Blanchard my fifth honorable mention.
1: Those are all good. I, I am very surprised with your, your Tajiri pick. And it's just like, wow, I, I was expecting him to see him on there on your list. But um, for for me, Christopher Daniels was another one that was I, – I was all day working on Christopher Daniels. Should I put him on there? Should I put him on there? Should I put him on there? Because he's been the king of indies pretty much his entire life. but. I couldn't do it. He to me, I guess if we had a twenty six, it would definitely be Christopher Daniels. But I, I, I put in uh, Tito Santana, just like you guys had mentioned earlier. I was a big fan of his, especially with the Strike Force days. Um, but again, perfect worker, never got the belt. Um, William Regal was another one. I know uh, you guys had mentioned them earlier. And uh, one of my favorite things about him was I remember when he, he refused job to job the Goldberg. And Goldberg was uh, just squashing everybody at that time. So William Regal made him work for it. If you ever have a chance to watch that match, that was a lot of fun. Uh, especially when he goes to do the jackhammer, he pretty much just sandbags him and won't let him lift him. So that was a lot of fun to watch. Um, for me, my last three are people that haven't been mentioned at all. And one of them is uh, Al Snow. Um, Al Snow, when he was over in ECW, he was only a short period of time, but the guy got over like crazy. He was feuding with uh, Shane Douglas and the triple threat at that time, but that created his, uh, his head character gimmick, which he took over to the WWE. And, um, you know, he got over pretty well over there. And, uh, again, I would never see Al Snow as a, uh, as a main champion. Obviously he was well suited for the hardcore championship belt that he had, but the guy was just mid Carter status for me, nonstop. Um, same thing goes with perry saturn perry saturn when he was in ecw with the eliminators fantastic tag team hell of a worker the guy could wrestle his ass off i always loved watching him wrestle and um then they bring him over to wcw and they put him in raven's flock and he was mid-card status there and then he came over with the radicals and you knew when he came over with the radicals that he just came along no one really wanted perry saturn but he was a part of the group and you had to bring him along. And then they gave him the Moppy character gimmick, which was horrible. Oh. Uh, it was just like, wow, poor Perry Saturn. But the guy could work his ass off. And my last one was uh, Too Cold Scorpio. Too Cold Scorpio was otherwise known as Flash Funk. Uh, again, the guy could work his ass off. He was ECW's TV champ for such a long time. And uh, kind of like their, their TV champ was like the version of the IC champ. You put it on there because you know the guy could work his ass off every day. He was a tag champ for a while. But... Uh severely underrated for me was two cold Scorpio. So he was my uh
2: my number five on that one. Nice. Well All right, Adam, how about you? Uh Moppy is right up there with Rocco in terms of what the hell were they thinking as far as I'm concerned. Uh so my five, uh I think everyone mentioned uh one, two, three uh as Jim Cornette used to say, six, one, two, three kid. His name is Sean Waltman, whatever you want to call him. Uh just a uh, great worker. Um and uh was a big part of the MWO and DX, two major factions. Uh I, I, I saw an interview with Shawn Michaels where he's I don't know what talent he was talking about. He said they put him against Kid in the first the first night he was there and kid could work with anybody and, and uh he came back and said that guy can't work. So uh he was kind of a measuring stick uh for incoming talent. Number twenty four. Uh, I I don't know how I missed him. You guys all mentioned him, Shelton Benjamin. He should be higher, but I like somehow I forgot about him. But one of the just a, another tremendous worker and talent who should have gotten over more and had more title runs. Uh, you all mentioned the Honky Tonk Man, the longest reigning IC champion in history. So he's got to be there. Didn't make the top twenty just because he wasn't as great of a worker as some of the other folks we mentioned. Uh, Dean Malenko is an honorable mention for me as well. Uh, you guys all talked about it. Uh, just tremendous in the ring. Uh, never had a bad match. Held back because of his size and because of his inability to talk. Uh, very unfortunate. And rounding out my honorable mentions is Greg the Hammer Valentine. He was one of my favorites when I was a kid um, because a lot of guys in the WWF had crazy gimmicks and he just came out and it beat the shit out of people and uh and uh someone mentioned he put the undertaker over uh the the latter part of his wwf run after he won the IC belt um he was another kind of measuring stick like uh someone mentioned at the top of the show just uh you got to go through greg the hammer to to get to that next level so
3: i love me some ricky the dragon steamboat um you know, he was he was having great sets of matches with uh, Steve Austin and WCW over the U.S. title. In fact, he was the U.S. champion when they had to strip him due to his injuries. And then the infamous thing with Jim Duggan. That's, that's kind of forgotten in all this. And he's that great of a wrestler where he comes back 15 years later against Chris Jericho and wrestles him at WrestleMania and gets a good three, three, three and a half star match for being 15 years out of the ring. That's how good of a wrestler he was. I think what held him back was people like McMahon didn't know what to do with him in WWF, and he wasn't the greatest talker. But to me, I feel he is the great technical wrestler of our, the greatest technical wrestler of our era. Um, you knew when he was wrestling, he was going to have a great match. And, you know... Yeah, he has his classics with Flair, you know, and that goes without saying. Plus, he had classics with Flair even before 89, like Boogie Jam 84 and the classics in Georgia Championship Wrestling in the late 70s. The list goes on and on, but it's a shame they never did more than a three-month run with him as champion. So, yeah, he had his little main event run, but mostly he was a mid carter upper mid carter and one of the best of all, and that's Ricky the Dragon.
0: My number one, you know what? Everybody says that Lex Luger's the total package. Fuck that shit. Kurt Henning is the total package. My number one is Mr. Perfect Kurt Henning. He could do it all, man. And when I say he did it perfectly, that is pun intended. He, he really was Mr. Perfect. He was great in the ring great on the mic. You hated him. Yeah, he had some he had some instances there where he was a face, but he always worked better as a heel. He was that cocky heel that you wanted to see him get his ass kicked, but he almost never did. Why? Because he was a badass. That's why. He could always take people out, take off anybody he wanted to in the ring. You know, the perfect plex is an awesome finisher, the fisherman suplex. Now you're going to see yeah, nobody could do it quite like him. Um, yeah, it, it, it's just a damn shame that his career was cut so short because of injuries. He really was one of my favorite wrestlers, and the fact that he never had any major runs with with uh, world titles is a damn shame. Um, yeah, uh, you know, Kurt Henning you know he his career was derailed because of injuries you know and he he made that last run with WWE a little bit before he died unfortunately i'm going to make that joke again adam he did enough coke to kill a horse and that's exactly what ended him but good one but yeah
3: <laughs>
0: yeah mr perfect he's always going to be up there he's close to my heart is one of my favorite wrestlers he is my number one mid Carter of all time.
1: Can't argue with that. That pick was so perfect that I had to make it mine as well, Tony. I had to nice. make it mine. Mister Perfect um, came in. He was undefeated for this like the whole first year he came in there. Um, you know, I, I love the vignettes that he used to do where he was doing all the sports gimmicks at bowling a three hundred or hitting a hole in one. You know, hitting home runs. Throw, my favorite's a the touchdown pass that he throws to himself. The guy was just amazing. Absolutely. Um, you know, you mentioned the perfect plex. Later on in the career, even after he was hurt, There's a, he wrestled the Big Show, or at yeah. that time it was a one giant the in WCW, Raws, yeah. and he got him in the perfect plex, and he just did it so easily. It's just like, holy crap. Um, you guys forgot to mention one of my all-time favorite matches, the Loser Leaves WWE match with uh, Ric Flair on monday night raw yeah i could not wait to i could not wait to watch that match and it it just did not it was it was amazing the entire time um i loved mr perfect uh his feud with hogan when he had it his feud with Bret hart uh your boy lex luger Shawn michaels he feuded with all those dudes but um he was just so much fun to watch the guy could sell his ass off and i remember later on his career he came out as a surprise in the royal rumble and and just when his music played, the pop he got was amazing. So for me, like like you said, best number one mid-carter of all time in my opinion, Mr. Perfect, Kurt Henning.
2: All right. All right, Adam, finish it off for us. All right. I was gonna use the uh the same joke that you used with Lex Luger being the total package. Uh so Lex Luger is not my number one. Uh, you want me to close it out? I'm going to close it out with a short clothesline and I'm going to follow it up with the DDT. Uh, <laughs> Jake the Snake Roberts is by number one, mid carter, uh, as I mentioned, with Arn Anderson at number two. Um, uh, one of the greatest wrestlers to never win the title, and I think that kind of adds to his mystique a little bit. It's like he, he was so good at what he did, he didn't necessarily need to be world champion. Uh, Bob mentioned earlier the story about how he was supposed to have the feud with Hogan. And I mean, that's just a Testament to oh how over with the fans that guy was. It's like, it was cool to like Jake the snake. I, you know, I remember, you know, when I was a junior high and like, you know, always lame to like wrestling to some people, but people always liked Jake the snake because he was a different kind of cat. He just, he was like, he was kind of like Arn. He was just like a real, a real dude. He didn't look like some, roided a person, you know, and he added to the, he made wrestling look more believable to the casual viewer just with the promos he cut and just the way he looked and composed himself. And he just had a brilliant wrestling mind. um You guys are talking about Broken Skull sessions. I watched the one with The Undertaker and when he was a young wrestler, he said he soaked up everything that Jake, the snake Roberts uh, had to offer backstage. That's where he modeled a lot of uh, what became his character from. Cause he knew that was the guy to study in terms of character development. Um, again, just tremendously over, uh, Bob mentioned the, uh, Uh, when he was at the angle where he was blind. And I remember, I think he fought Martel at a house show or he did a run-in when Martel was doing a match and just the pop he got for beating the crap out of him. And uh, I mean, every show I went to, uh, besides Hogan, probably Jake the Snake was the second most over wrestler. Um, Just always a joy to watch and uh, just always doing something Cutting edge. Um, it's amazing. He, at least as a heel, I, I could easily see him as a heel champion. And the fact that that never panned out is really a shame. So Jake the Snake is my number one mid-carter. Uh, just really got everybody primed for the main event and was even part of the main event from time to time.
0: Nice. All right, boys. Well, that was another great episode. You know, we've been talking for damn near three hours on this one. <laughs> This is, I don't know if this is a podcast or a director's commentary for the Godfather. Jeez, we, we, we're going overtime on this, but that's what makes it fun because it's so subjective, you know, a topic like this that it can go on for a while, but yeah. Yeah. I love all your guys lists. We picked a lot of the same guys. There were some outliers there that, you know, none of us, or only one of us had it's, it was a really good list. Really good list.
1: Uh, any final thoughts, guys? I, I I agree with what you said earlier. Where it was probably the hardest one we had to do. I mean, I always say that every week. I think like, oh, this one was the hardest. This one was the hardest. But this one seriously felt like one of the hardest. It was like
2: shit. <laughs> yeah, the, I I echo. It was it was very difficult to come up with. And Rich made some good points about Roddy Piper. I mean, if you really think about it, uh, I mean he he was in the ty- uh, the main event picture. For, for flashes, but yeah, he did wrestle on the undercard quite a bit, so I didn't even consider that you know, so that's what made it interesting to me was uh everybody's point of view and, mm-hmm. and i yeah, I like right. how we were able to differentiate between uh different uh runs you know in different federations because obviously this speaks to you know one man's garbage is another man's gold sometimes exactly. Mm-hmm. Oh, as always
1: and, and even, though, All right. even, well, even though we almost went for what two hours and 45 minutes I mean it still felt like it you know I didn't even think about it as three hours I thought about it as having fun with you guys just sitting and talking and definitely a good time man
0: yeah good times good times
2: <laughs>
0: yep. and we will be back next week Um, yeah so for everybody here um, for the Warsaw Blonde, Adam Kolovic. Later. And for the Mouth of the South Suburbs, Rich Tito. And for for Dr. Bob, Bob Lopez, I am Tony Lopez. And thanks again for listening, guys. We'll, we'll see you again next week. Later.
2: See ya. Adios.